1: Let me shuffle stuff around here like I normally do as the show starts. It's Monday. <laughs> There's so much to cover today. I can't believe it. Um, I'm looking at my uh, my phone right now, right? And it's got it's, – it's 30 degrees out there. This is the first day of spring, allegedly, although I thought it was supposed to be the 21st. I guess we're early. Maybe it's, not only is it daylight saving, it's day saving. <laughs> we're on day saving time. We're starting spring a day early. <laughs> I crack myself up. I'm sorry. It's just it, – it's uh, it's cold in here. It's freezing. I, I You know, I, I put my heaters away already Twice. <laughs> I'm going to drag them out again. This will be the third time I've dragged my heaters out. You know, I've got a couple of uh, space heaters here in my little cottage. Anyway, um, it's 30 degrees. At 8 o'clock, it goes up to 33, 9 a.m., 37. So when the show ends at 10 o'clock, it's only going to be 42 degrees out there. That's still cold. That's winter temperatures. That's crazy. Well, of course, yeah, I know daylight savings were starting early. It's still a little bit dark out there, but that's not the point. The point is it's really cold in Florida. You know, it's, it's below freezing out there right now, which is which is kind of crazy. So much for the, this is the sunshine state. It's kind of like the cloudy and cold state right now. All right. So for all you pagans, I want to wish you a happy vernal equinox. Enjoy your springtime rituals. You know, gather around, jump around the fires, paint your faces, and do all the things that you pagans do. I have a wonderful time. <laughs> so the vernal equinox is, is – uh, the corollary of the, the autumnal equinox, which seems to make more sense, the autumnal equinox actually occurs in the autumn. That would be September 21st. The vernal equinox, I'm not sure why it's not called the spring equinox, but it's not, uh, occurs now, uh, today. So uh, the equinox means that the daylight and the, uh, the nighttime are the same. They're equal. It is the equinox. In other words, it's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of night. Um, that's how it works. Anyway, so the shortest day, of course, December 21st, first day of winter, when all the pagans freeze and, uh, you know, all their harvest rituals are over and all their howling at the moon and things like that with a good harvest. That's great. Then they all, you know, buckle down until the vernal equinox, which is now. And then, of course, the big one is the summer solstice. That's the longest day of the year. That will be June 21st, unless that's on daylight savings times, too, in which case that'll be June 20th. Uh, It's all very confusing to me. But uh, what it comes down to is I'm sick of changing my clocks and uh, cuz I actually have uh, I have I have two clocks actually actually three if you count the microwave <laughs> there's actually three that I change my phone and my computer change automatically which takes some of the fun out of it uh and nobody's late anymore and nobody you know kids kids they miss that that pleasure of not being uh, uh where they're supposed to be at the right hour they're either an hour late or an hour early we always used to catch somebody back in the old days so the thing to do now is is that uh, governor Ron Santis, uh his job is to um Enforce the law that Florida passed and keep day, you know, permanent daylight savings time. And when the Congress says, well, we have to approve it, his response should be, screw you. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, put us into state commerce. No, it's within Florida. You know, Arizona does not have daylight savings time. Well, if Arizona does not have daylight savings time, then we can have permanent daylight savings time. The world is on computers. The goods and services will not stop flowing because our time uh, is permanent daylight savings. So Congress has no jurisdiction further uh, anymore because it's not required. It's not like we're changing the gauge of the railroads. We're not changing the size of the runways. You know, we're not changing the roads so the trucks cannot pass. We're not blocking. We don't have a border. You know, we don't have a state although we should for illegal aliens. You know, we're not doing anything to impede the flow of goods and services, which is what interstate commerce is all about, not what Congress says it's about, which is anything they want to regulate. And so therefore, um Governor DeSantis is well within his, his powers, because states don't have rights. They have powers. There's, there's no such thing as states' rights. States have powers. So he's well within his state powers to declare permanent daylight savings time and simply not turn the clocks back this fall. Let's see if he has the balls to do that. The second thing he need to have the balls to do is to, uh, is, is this this uh, you know, the big rumor, you know, is Trump going to get arrested tomorrow, okay? I'm not going to deal with that too much, because that, to me, is already a non-story. Trump, is, let me tell you why. Trump is brilliant. He's brilliant in so many ways. He has taken away all the thunder uh, of this thing. They can't do it now. They can't do it because everybody knows they're going to do it. All right? So if they do do it, it's anticlimactic. If they, and, of course, if they don't do it, they look like wimps. But they're, they're hopefully they'd rather you know, kind of like sneak away from this one because everybody, if everybody thinks they're going to do it you know, and then they finally do it, it's like, well, we knew this three days ago. You're boring us. You know? Okay, so you're right to Trump. Big deal. You can't do anything with them. They're all false charges. Everybody knows it. So, so Trump has actually taken away the power of, of the New York, um, you know, Gestapo, uh, Biden, the, the Biden Soros or, or the Obama Soros Justice Department, uh, the the FBI, KGB, you know, Gestapo, Stasi, um, who are some of who's some of the great, um, you know, internal ministers of internal security in history, you know, the worst of the worst, you know, the, the, the torture chambers, the things like that. All right. So, you know, they're going to try to arrest Trump for what? What? Because, uh, you know, and, you know I, I don't even know the – well, I don't know the details of the whole porn star thing. Um, but they um, anybody watch one of her films, by the way? I, I want to see who has the courage to admit, yes, I watched the Stormy Daniels porn film. Come on. Admit it. You know you were curious when you heard that Trump may have you know, allegedly – anyway, so much for that. But the point is that if New York officials – Here's another one for Governor DeSantis. This is a cojones test. Cojones test number two for Monday morning is whether uh, Governor DeSantis will have the cojones to tell New York State to pound sand if they try to, to, you know, collect Trump from Florida. So this is a doctrine I'm going to get into, um, and I'll be writing about on Substack fairly soon, that the 14th Amendment very clearly says that we as, as U.S. citizens are actually dual citizens. We are dual citizens if we are citizens of the United States. We are also citizens of the state in which we reside. Well, being a citizen of the state in which you reside, you're entitled to protections of that state. So Donald Trump is entitled to the protections of the state of Florida being a resident and therefore a citizen of the state of Florida. And if the state of New York tries to extradite unjustly, then, you know, Cohnny's test number two for Ron DeSantis is to put the National Guard, you know, out to arrest any New York official who crosses the Florida state line and say, what the hell are you doing here? Get out or we're going to arrest you for, for prosecutorial misconduct, abuse of authority, unconstitutional actions and crossing state lines, you know, without jurisdiction. He's not in New York. You know, New York may want to arrest him when he gets back there, but this is a bunch of radical wackos. And the way you deal with radical wackos is you stop them. So Cohoney's test number two Uh, After Kahane's test number one, which is to keep permanent daylight savings time, is to state clearly that if any New York official, uh, law enforcement or otherwise uh, judicial uh, U.S. attorney, anybody who comes to Florida to try and arrest Donald Trump on these bogus charges is going to have to deal with the full weight of the entire Florida state police force, the local police forces, uh, and the National Guard. And that's how you handle that. In fact, Cohona's test number three. I, I didn't plan to talk about this. I'm just, am literally making this up as we go, which reminds me of what I would consider Cohona's test number three, and probably this is the most important of all: that Governor DeSantis needs to send the Florida National Guard to the D.C. gulag to extradite U.S. Uh, excuse me, Florida citizens who are being held as political prisoners against the writ of habeas corpus in the D.C. Gulag. Now, I'm really happy to see that almost everybody is now calling it the D.C. Gulag and calling these people political prisoners. I first posed that to uh, George Papadopoulos when he was on the show, I think, over two years ago. And this, is, this was soon after uh, the people were, were arrested as political prisoners after January 6th. And I had uh, courtesy of Annie Delgado, who was on the show. And she brought on George Papadopoulos, who is well known you know, as, as one of the, uh, the early Trump folks. Um, and got caught up in a bunch of scandals himself. I asked him, I said, are, are, uh, are these J6 uh, people uh, in, in the D.C. Gulag, which I call it then, are they political prisoners? He said no, which absolutely stunned me, because to me it was obvious. It was, it was almost like a rhetorical question. I stated it to make a point, and then he refuted it, which I thought was very surprising. Anyway, I believe they are political prisoners. I know it, you know, and, and I've been calling it the D.C. Gulag for a couple of years, ever since the political prisoners were first taken unjustly and kidnapped. Now my question is, where are the governors? And I'll be doing a Substack article on this. Where are the governors of the states of your sovereign citizens? Where, where's the Kansas governor and the Iowa governor and where's the uh, wherever the else people are from? I know where the California governor is. He doesn't care. He's not going to get his citizens. But where's Ron DeSantis, who allegedly is running for president at this particular time? Where is he saying we're going to send the, you know to, to send literally send the Florida National Guard to D.C would that be interesting? Oh, that's going to cause a crisis, Greg. Exactly. What do you think the whole point of this exercise is? Is to, is to cause a crisis. And let's see what they would do. What would they do? Would they send the army against the Florida National Guard to hold political prisoners unjustly? I don't know. But if I were governor, that's what I'd be doing. And if anybody doubts me for a second, you don't know me very well. But that's exactly what I'd be doing. Uh, is that I would, I would have extradited my Florida citizens long ago, probably the second day. And so you can't do this. I would be urging the Florida delegation to cut off all money to the D.C. gulag. I would have that D.C. gulag closed down uh, and I would have everybody in it arrested, you know, for, for cruel and unusual punishment, you know, plus everything else they've done, assault, battery, torture, you name it, violations of every civil rights you can think of. Those people would never get out of jail for what they're doing in the D.C. jail right now. Never. Okay, enough of my soapbox. That's not what I wanted to talk about this morning. Uh, but those are the things that are not as important. as Well, I mean, that's important. But, but the, as far as the issues to talk about, uh, the biggest issues are not being talked about. So, you know, that one is actually huge. So, so the, anyway, so, so the cojones test, let's say that those are important. Uh, what I originally intended to say was that certain <coughs> – excuse me. The most important issues aren't being talked about at all, and I'll tell you why uh, in just a second. But the cojones tests, I think, are critical. Maintain daylight savings time. Let's see if I can remember them because I, I didn't actually write these down. Um, um, you know, Get the prisoners out of the D.C. gulag. And I forgot when the third one was. <laughs> I've already forgotten. Uh, but that would be uh, – anyway, those are things that – oh, yeah, protect uh, Donald Trump with the Florida National Guard. So those are the three cojones tests. I wonder if I should write those down somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll – I'll, it down later. I'm in the middle of a show right now. Okay, so everybody's talking about the possibility of Trump being arrested. They're talking about the the bank ba- the bailouts which should never have happened. I mean, the Florida delegation. Uh, in fact, all all the Republicans in Congress should immediately uh, void that uh, bailout, or deter- you know, or take away the money uh, that is going for the bailout from the White House budget. I mean, just you know, or the the executive or anywhere you want. But uh, you, you got to cancel it out somehow. You know, the old expression, how are you going to pay for it? When uh, whenever the, uh, the Republicans propose a tax cut, the Democrats would say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Of course, I always contended you don't pay for a tax cut. You pay for a tax increase, idiots. But uh, they figure, well, the government's owed this much money. And if you if you if you give a tax cut, the government's losing money. You, you've got to reimburse it somehow somewhere else. No, you don't. So the, the U.S. The, our drone being attacked was it was a, a big deal. But Brandon's not going to do anything about it because Brandon's run by Obama, and Obama's not going to do anything about it. Obama supports, you know, communist dictatorial states. Um, besides, he's a coward. <laughs> he's not going to do anything. He's the one that ordered the surrender in uh, Afghanistan and and the leaving of all our uh, weapons behind so they could go to Iran, who he wanted to give a nuclear bomb to. So we know what that's all about. So what's so what's the big so what's going on? In this that's really important. You know, what's really important to me. What I think is the biggest issue right now is what's going on in Israel. Israel has Supreme Court reforms and they have a direct implication to our own Supreme Court, which is you know, probably why nobody's talking about it. This is huge. I'll get to that in just a second. But I got a couple of other questions. Um, the first question is, you know, uh, Donald Trump is going to, excuse me, President Donald Trump is going to Waco uh, for a rally this Saturday, March 25th. So I'm thinking to myself, This can't be a coincidence, all right? This is the, and I haven't covered it yet. I'm going to one of these days, probably tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, This is the 30th anniversary of the Clinton massacre at Waco. The ATF, FBI massacre with tanks, poison gas, uh, setting the place on fire, and then bulldozing the entire structure and bodies into the ground, into a mass grave, and everybody said, oh, that's done. It's not done. Because there's no statute of limitations on murder. And Bill Clinton has not stood trial for that. It's too bad we can't arrest Janet Reno. She's already passed on wherever she went. But uh, she's not with us anymore. So the question is, the question is, the uh, question I've been trying to find out too, this is kind of interesting, is who are the leaders? Uh, who are the commanders on the ground at Waco? And what positions do they now hold in the FBI and ATF? I can't find out. I did find out that Chris Ray was a little too young to be uh, uh there at the time as a commander. And he might have been there. I'd be, I'd be curious to know if Chris Ray was there at Waco. Uh, I'd, be, I'd like to, I'm trying to find out where, where Merrick Garland was, you know, the head of the, uh, the DOJ, DOJ KGB. Uh, where was he during Waco? So this is, this is going to be an ongoing process. If anybody knows or has information or sources, you know, let me know. Send them to the Action Radio Special Investigations Project. We have several groups um, that are key right now at Action Radio: the Elections Integrity Project, uh, the Legal Project, the Trump 2024 Campaign Project, uh, and the big one, of course, uh our Special Investigations Review. There's so many things going on there right now. So the question is: Is Trump going to Waco uh, to talk about what happened at Waco 30 years ago? This uh, actually was April 19th. The siege was 51 days, so that would have put it two months ahead of time. Uh, so actually, about you know, so that would have been April. March so in February. It would have been the end of February when they invaded. Uh, this would be the middle of the siege right now, being, uh, well, actually a little bit later in the siege, March 20th, and by April 19th, three weeks later, uh, or three to four weeks, yeah, March 20th, so it would be a month later. So this is a month before they were all killed or murdered, as I, as I call it. You know, because uh, they could have waited an amount. They could have let them come out. They could have done all kinds of things, but they didn't. They wanted to kill them, so you know, they did. That's why you put poison gas on a hot day with high winds uh, that is extremely flammable uh, into a uh, a, a limited-sized building when it's designed for outside use, not inside, where you, where you punch holes in the buildings with the direction of the wind so that when the fire inevitably starts, it races through the building as quickly as possible and as many people are killed as possible and then bulldoze into the ground so that we can heal. That was the excuse. We have to uh, cover this up so that we can heal. No, to escape guilt and prosecution. That's why they did it. So Bill Clinton and Al Gore... And I don't know what Hillary's involvement was. She obviously didn't speak against it. Uh, these people are either murderers or accessories to the government massacre at Waco, or as I'm calling it now, the Clinton massacre. So the question is, is Trump going to talk about it? I would be very curious to find out. That's why do you think I could be listening to the rally on Saturday? Uh, a lot of other people are, are curious about that too, but nobody else is asking the question publicly. I haven't heard it anywhere else yet. So let me, let's just stay here first. Uh, if you have a, you know, uh, I think I have a poll on that in my face. Well, to, if I don't, I'm going to put it on there. I know I've stated that on Facebook, but I'm going to have to put a poll question up. Will Trump talk about Waco at Waco? That's the big question. The second question I have is on the January 6th two hearings. Uh, gee, Greg, what January 6th two hearings? I'm channeling Rush Limbaugh again. I like to give credit where credit's due. So the January 6th two hearings are the Republican version of the Democrat no job uh, whitewash, uh, kangaroo court uh, theater production. The Democrats had a theater production um, of a January 6 hearing where they presented uh, nothing but propaganda BS um, You know, for, for, for months. Actually, it's kind of funny. Speaking of BS, I had a post that was rather popular on Facebook. I said, uh, when leftist universities offer a degree in, in wokeism, will it be a BA or a BS degree? I'll let you answer that one for yourself. All right. Anyway, uh, let me check uh, live chat. And I've been sort of remiss in some of my live chat chats. Nobody's there yet. My usual guest right now is Sinai from the Netherlands, which is kind of cool. It's great. It's like afternoon there. Um, It's great to have him check in. All right. So I'm actually reading from my notes, which is unusual. Normally, I talk extemporaneously, as they say. Um, But that's the question. So where's the January 6th hearing? Will Trump Talk About Waco. And the third thing, the big question I have is, is anybody following what's going on in Israel right now, because this to me is fascinating. So let me tell you a story. And the story is Marbury versus Madison, which was the first unconstitutional decision of our Supreme Court back in 1803. The only decent uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, actually judge, I should say judge because the Constitution says judge. They are Supreme Court judges. They are not justices. I don't know when that name came in. I'm trying to find it, but they are judges. And I know that because I actually read the Constitution Article 3. It's right there. Right, right, uh, right before it says uh, the judges are only there for uh, periods of good behavior, <laughs> not like that. So, so John Marshall, being an authoritarian, dictatorial, judicial, tyrannical type, and also the first Supreme Court judge, uh, said in 1803 that the Supreme Court has the power to declare laws unconstitutional. That in itself is, are you ready? Unconstitutional. Okay, so there are defined powers. So the, the whole purpose of the Constitution, the Constitution is the state's control mechanism over the federal government. The states created the federal government. The states can take away the federal government. The federal government only exists because the states allow it. Now, the problem is people don't know that anymore. They've lost sight of this. They've completely forgotten what it is. They think the federal government is a national government and that we're a democracy where the national government is supreme over the states. The states are supreme over the cities, uh, cities over the counties or the counties over the cities, however it works. They think that it's a top-down hierarchy. And democracy rules and majority rules. Well, that's a bunch of BS. That's not true. We are a republic, as defined by Article 4 or Section 4, which says we are guaranteed a republic. And a republic constitutes a separation of powers, a defined constitution, a limited government uh, separation. uh, is called federalism. It's a separation of powers where the federal government has jurisdiction and the states have jurisdiction. And the cities and the counties and the local school boards, they all have jurisdictions that are separate. And the federal government is supposed to be equal between the Supreme Court, uh, the judiciary, uh, the legislature, the Congress, and the executive, the president. Okay? Well, they're not equal because John Marshall said that they can declare any law unconstitutional and that there's no appeal. There's no override. There's no check and balance. There is no check and balance on the Supreme Court. Therefore, since a republic requires a check and balance on the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to declare that they can declare any law unconstitutional, and there is no check on that authority, is unconstitutional, is a barbarous act, is a violation of the Constitution, and never should have been allowed to stand. Jefferson hated Marbury versus Madison, not because he was involved in the case, but because it was wrong. (laughs) It was wrongly decided. And because it was wrongly decided, because the Supreme Court does not have the authority to declare a law unconstitutional, except in terms of a case before them, and let me explain that really carefully, OK, they can't make blanket things. They can't do anything. You know, even even, here's where it gets crazy. Some of the things they've actually done for the right reason. You know, I believe uh, uh, Brown versus Board of Education was the right decision. All right. It was the right decision because segregation is illegal. You can't do it. Separate but equal is is an invalid uh, judicial uh, or legislative concept. It's not true. 14th Amendment guarantees the equal protection of all laws. Segregation specifically prohibits the equal protection of all laws. That, therefore the doctrine of segregation is illegal. Now the question is, could the Supreme Court, once they, they said uh, um, in the case of Brown versus Board of Education that separate but equal is not constitutional per the 14th Amendment, could they then order the schools to be desegregated? And the answer is no. Because the Supreme Court has no power to order anything. That's for the legislatures. That's for the Congress, the president and the states, if they want to do it, if it's within the federal government's authority under the Constitution. And that's a question I'm, I would say, no. <laughs> well, actually, no, it would be under civil rights. It would have been under since 1964. But Brown versus Board of Education was, I think, 54. So I'll have to look into that more. But let me say this. The difference is that, uh, and this goes to the Supremacy Clause. We're going to talk about this probably tomorrow. The Supremacy Clause uh, says that the, the, so the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and of the laws of the United States. Well, what are the laws of the United States? Those are the ones the federal government creates within the Constitution, so in other words, any law that the federal government creates that is outside Article 1, Section 8, outside the provisions of the Constitution, is not under the Supremacy Clause. And this is going to be huge. This is going to be a big deal to talk about this. In fact, Pianki's on the line already. I expected it to call, <laughs> actually. But uh, we're going to talk about states' nullification. I'm going to start to do that uh, probably tomorrow. In fact, I found a bunch of articles before the show that I have to read later. But uh, it is very clear that the Supremacy Clause only governs the supremacy of constitutional laws under federal jurisdiction limited by the Constitution. Good morning, Pianchi. What do you think so far?
2: Good morning. Good morning, Greg. You know, uh, blacks was against the 54 Supreme Court decision.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
2: Because it really wasn't what the the complaint was. The complaint was about equal pay between uh, black and white teachers. It didn't have anything to do about physical integration. Uh, let's talk about that. 10%. Let's
1: yeah. Let, let's review Brown versus Board of Education. I'd be willing to do a, a show on it. That would be fascinating. Uh, I want to talk about what's going on in Israel right now. Yeah, but that is good to know. I had no idea. So so you're well. Anything else you want to say about that? Let's let's, let's get a comment on that now, and then I want to tell you what's going on in Israel because this to me is fascinating.
2: Yeah, and and, and that's what it was about. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, even today, in 2023 you have the same sort of segregation of classrooms, but it's voluntary segregation. So what the court wanted to do, Yeah it, matter of fact, it's more so segregated today uh-huh. than it was then. It was the NAACP, presumably, that uh, wanted the things to go like it was. And you had people in Edenville, Florida, that was totally against that because what it had done. It uh, took black kids away from the schools that they had put a lot of time, effort, and sweat in. But
1: uh, go ahead. That's, no, that's interesting. Yeah. See, everybody has – see, that would be a freedom of association. So in other words, Perry, can, a private black school, can a private black school only have black kids go there? Uh, I guess if it's voluntary, yes, but if it's mandated that, that white kids are excluded and can't go there – Then it's going to be a civil rights issue. And I I don't I want to think about that. That's a really good point to ask. Let me start. Let's go back to what's going on with the Israel Supreme Court, because they're about to do an Israel. The Supreme Court in Israel has done what our court did here in 1803. That's why I'm bringing this up. Now, Israel has the chance to fix their judicial system, which I'm hoping will inspire you know, proper constitutionalists here to do exactly the same thing. But the background that I'm giving for that, especially, and I want to get Jonathan's opinion when he comes on here. Uh, but this is why I'm doing this now in this hour uh, so that we can get Jonathan uh, to weigh in on this. But uh, let's talk about article three. The constitution says very clearly the judicial power. Uh, this is, this is, the, this is the, 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 the federal judiciary says so the judicial power uh, to, shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under equity would be money in that case. Now what equity means today, which is, you know, social justice I'm taking from you because I feel like it. You know, um, in, in other words, we have income redistribution Well, this would be, you know, rights and property redistribution and everything else. But equity in those days meant money. So all cases in law and money arising under this constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority. Okay, so <clears throat> let's go through this. So extend to all cases. It doesn't say beyond cases. So the only authority the Supreme Court has is over cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, which by the Supremacy Clause is the supreme law of the land, the laws of the United States. So let's let's skip over to uh, Article 6, Clause 2. I was looking at this too. So here's the Supremacy Clause. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, in other words, only laws made uh, by the United States, which is the Congress, where the federal government has jurisdiction, that's not said, but that's, that's, that's what makes this make sense, uh, made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, which is the Constitution only, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby uh, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state, to the contrary, notwithstanding. So they actually get, this is a little contradiction in the Constitution. Because the 10th Amendment says very clearly that, you know, all powers not specifically delegated in the Constitution are reserved for the states. So we're going to talk about state nullification. I've got a show kind of forming on that, too. I've been busy this morning. It's been very active. That's what happens when I get up at 4 (laughs) o'clock. Anyway, um, but the thing that people don't understand, when they say the United States, they think of the whole country. They think of all the states. They think of all all the states and the cities and the counties, and that's not true. When they talk about the authority of the United States, that's only the federal government and only as far as it extends in the Constitution. So Marbury versus Madison, when uh, John Marshall said that the, uh, su- the, the Supreme Court can declare any law unconstitutional and there is no recourse, there is no check and balance in the legislature, there is no check and balance in uh, the executive, in other words, the president, that is judicial supremacy. That is judicial tyranny and has screwed up this country ever since 1803. And that's the problem, and this is why I'm fighting this whole idea of judicial review. I even have a bill on it, and we'll get to that in a little bit too. Pianki, how am I doing so far? Questions, comments?
2: You're doing right because the Mulberry case has a lot of flaws in it. -hmm.
1: So how come they've never taken it up again? Here's one for you. My two favorite judges, I almost said justices, uh, Clarence Thomas and Samuelito, the only two with a brain in their heads who actually know what the Constitution says. How come they haven't revisited Marbury versus Madison? Or maybe because it takes four to do it they haven't done it. But that would, or haven't how come they haven't spoken on that? I'm kind of surprised because that's really the key to all the problems with the Supreme Court. Is that one case?
2: Well, Greg, it's going to take some outside efforts to bring it. I don't know if they can bring it up themselves, but I do like stake notification I always have
1: them like that. Yeah, We're going to talk. I've got articles on that. I think you'll find it interesting. All right, let me tell you what's going on in Israel. So Israel is in the middle of, uh, of a bit of a crisis right now, which is great. It's actually a good crisis. Uh, and there's, a, there's an author here. The website is unpacked. This is a liberal website. The article author is Sarah, uh, either Heimless or Himelis H-I-M-E-L-E-S. I want to get her on the show. She's a diehard liberal. Uh, and you can tell. It's, it's really fascinating reading this. But, she, but the title is What's Going On With Israel's Planned Judicial Reforms. Uh, And the quote is, it's our right to scream. It's our obligation to scream. That's how it is in a democracy. And we'll definitely get into the difference between a democracy and a republic, because most people haven't a clue. So here we go. She says, Israel's judicial reforms. And they're protesting the streets. This is going on right now. Nobody in the U.S. is covering it, of course, because they're covering you know, a drone being sprayed with uh, fuel from a Russian fighter. Or they're covering, will Trump be arrested? Or they're covering the bank bailout that never should have happened. That's what the news is covering. We, of course, being different, thoughtful, and independent, I'm covering this. Excuse me. So Israel's judicial reforms have four parts. The override clause, removing the, quote, reasonability test, appointing judges and legal advisors. And we got the the breakdown. So let's just do a quick analysis here. The override clause. Our Supreme Court has no override. Neither does the one in Israel, because Israel apparently doesn't even have a constitution. That's a story in itself. But the Netanyahu government is trying to put in an override clause for uh, the Supreme Court of Israel. I agree with that. What I disagree with is theirs is a simple majority. See, if Congress can override the Supreme Court with a simple majority, that's not, that's not a check and balance. That would, that would put the Congress over the Supreme Court. If Congress can override on two-thirds... That would be a constitutional and a Republican check and balance. In other words, if two-thirds of the Congress uh, disagrees with a Supreme Court opinion, they can override it. That's what we need here. So the override clause is critical, but it can't be a majority. It can't be a simple majority, just like a veto of a bill has to have a two-thirds override. Same thing, and for the same reason. Uh, Anyway, the next one is removing the reasonability test. Pianki, how many times have we talked about? Uh, the, the reasonable law or it's, it's a, you know, reasonable restrictions can we put on, on, uh, on our constitutional rights or the, the, what is it? The compelling state interests, or all those other things that the, that the Supreme court and other courts have made up. How many times have we talked about that? Hundreds? Oh,
2: it's hundreds? Yes. Hundreds of times. And all that is malarkey. Constitution is always on.
1: Exactly. But yet, Israel wants to remove the reasonability test, which is exactly what we need to do here. This is why I'm bringing it up. Here's another one, appointing judges and legal advisors. I'll get into how they do it. I'm not totally clear on the concept yet. Uh, I think the way we do it is okay, but I'm going to put something to you. Have you ever noticed in the Constitution, uh, it says that, uh, let me see, when it comes to uh, Supreme Court judges, shall be appointed and by and with. Have you ever noticed those words, and by and with? haven't paid no attention to him. I have. You know me. I pay attention to a comma. <laughs> you know, uh, in fact, I can prove that the the president is not the commander-in-chief until there's a war declared. Uh, we'll do that in a subsequent show. But it's – I have to find this here. But it says that the, the – it's probably in Article 1, I would guess, because it would be nominating powers. So where, where are the nominating powers? Uh, now, and by and with means concurrently, right? See, this is uh, – where is it? Senators representative comes in alone, oh, no, all right. It's probably an article one. I'll find it. But I know the I know the language. It says very specifically that the Senate and by and with the President, you know, shall nominate and confirm um, Supreme Court judges. So what that means is to me, is now we have a situation where the president nominates and Congress only considers the people the president nominates. Well that's not and by and with. And by and with is where they come up with nominations together that the Senate supplies the president with nominees and the president supplies the Senate with nominees. That's by, that's end by end with. See, we're doing it wrong. We've been doing it wrong for, I don't know, probably a hundred years, but that's the way the constitution says it should be done. So the Senate should start. If I were president of the Senate, the first thing I'd be doing is coming up with uh, judicial nominees for the Supreme court and sending them to the president. How would that be for, for an interesting thought? You Nobody know, thinks of these things. I don't know. I don't know why I do. It's God. God's fault. <laughs> putting ideas in my you know, head. That, that you, you're absolutely right. Then that would take the emphasis
2: out of wanting to elect any particular person for president just for that mm-hmm. cause. Like well, that's, we a seen in the-
1: that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Brilliant. So I love having you on the show. Let's see if I can find him by and with. I'll, I'll find it later. It's not, uh, that's not really critical. But let's talk about what Israel's doing, because what Israel's doing is critical, and, what's, what, and why it's not being reported. I think it's just tragedy. Okay, so they got the breakdown. So it says, uh, click here for answers to all your questions. And then they have a second article, a follow-up. It's great. So here's the background. So back to the article. On February 4th, more than 100,000 people, 100,000 people. Israel's not that big, right? 100,000, that's a a major portion of of their population of people to protest. They protested throughout the country for the fifth straight week. Fifth straight week. And nobody's heard about this here. Okay, this is fascinating, right? Against the government's proposed overhaul of the judicial system. The weak protests have taken place in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Haifa, Beersheba, and other cities. The plan, which Justice Minister Yadav Levin announced in January, would weaken Israel's Supreme Court by significantly limiting its power to review laws and strike them down, among other changes. In other words, judicial review. So the Israeli Supreme Court did exactly what our Supreme Court did in 1803 with Marbury versus Madison. They assumed the powers. They gave themselves the power to declare any law or any action of government unconstitutional, which is even more ironic because Israel doesn't, in fact, have a constitution. So in other words, the Supreme Court declared themselves the judicial tyrants to do pretty much whatever they wanted. That's why people are protesting. Actually, what they're protesting is the reforms, I think. But that's what the Israeli Supreme Court's doing, and that's why it's significant. What do you think? He's thinking. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. What, what I find fascinating is the way this is plan- – Good point. Well, thank you. <laughs> what, what I find fascinating is it says that the the plan, which Justice Minister Yardin Levin Yadav Levin announced in January, would weaken Israel's Supreme Court. Okay? Well – that's not the point. The point is that they took powers they were never supposed to have. So it actually would correct Israel's Supreme Court. not weaken it. Then it's supposed to have these powers. It would correct the Supreme Court and put them into – now, Israel is a democracy. It's different than us. We're a republic. But even so, uh, they still the, – democracy should be able to outvote. That's probably why they have a majority vote to overturn because they're a democracy. See, I don't believe in democracy. Democracy sucks. Democracy leads to tyranny. Look what's going on now. Uh, anyway, but significantly limit its power to review laws and strike them down. So see, they, they, shouldn't have, they should have the power to review laws in, con, in the context of a case. They should have the ability to say that a law is wrong or unconstitutional within the context of a case. But they have no power beyond that case. See, that's the difference. That's the difference between judicial review and, and the power of the Supreme Court. To take cases into account and use the Constitution. And I talk about this in my bill, the difference between using the Constitution and exceeding beyond it and doing whatever they please. So the next section, it says, now is the hour of darkness, Israeli author David Grossman told a crowd at the recent Tel Aviv rally, now is the moment to stand up and cry out, this land is in our souls. What happens in it today will determine where, what it will be and who we and our children will become. So they call this an enemy of democracy. And yet, here's the, here's the irony. Okay, this is where it gets even better. They're saying in Israel that if the Supreme Court loses the power to basically do whatever they want, that's against democracy. Well, it's actually for democracy because it's more democratic for them to be overruled by a majority of either the Knesset or the prime minister, right? So they got it backwards, which is normal for propagandists. I shall continue. On February 21st, the Knesset voted to advance a key part of the reforms as tens of thousands of people demonstrated outside the parliament in Jerusalem. I wonder how that got organized. (laughs) Sounds like a George Soros thing. So the Knesset's for this. The Knesset is the Israeli parliament. So that'd be like our Congress. The article says, in response to the public outcry and the protests, Netanyahu has repeatedly said that he received a mandate in November's election to enact the controversial reforms. Remember, this is written by a liberal. This is why you're getting criticism here, right? Avi Himi, H-I-M-I, chair of the Israel Bar Association, pushed back on this. They're probably leftists too, right? Telling the crowd at a recent rally, you never got a mandate to change the regime. You've never got a mandate to destroy democracy. It's our right to scream. Oh, that's where that that quote in the beginning of the article came from. He says, when he announced the reforms at the beginning of the year, Justice Minister Levin claimed that the Supreme Court's growing intervention in cabinet decisions and Knesset legislation had ruined public trust in the legal system, leading to severe damage to democracy. So so each side is saying that what the, the other side is doing is an enemy of democracy. That's fascinating. Then it says, we go to the polls, vote, elect, and time after time, people we didn't elect choose for us. He says, many sectors of the public look to the judicial system and do not find their voices heard. That is not democracy. This is with all the noise coming down from coming from Israel on the planned judicial overhaul and the protests. We wanted to get to the root of what is really happening. What exactly is the judicial reform plan and what is the crisis really about? Well, what's what's fascinating about this is we need exactly the same debate here and we're not having it so what are the reforms here we go first go ahead Pianchi.
2: you are absolutely right and if you look around you will see where you have a lot of judicial decisions coming along in this country based on that same premise And now we can uh, better pinpoint where it's coming from it's coming from jewish elements
1: here in the united states mm, okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you up there i don't agree I don't agree because I don't know if John Marshall was Jewish, uh, and even if he was, I don't think that was that was the whole point of of Marbury well, versus Madison. Not Tennessee.
2: in this particular story, but I have seen in the past where, mm-hmm. for instance, like uh, the court would come along and block an idea of the state mm-hmm. and tie it up in the blocking process, rather than. Is going through and, and being, you know, I think we depend too much for the courts. And I, and you're going to talk about nullification,
1: which is very, uh-huh.
2: very important here in a minute. Right. But uh,
1: continue. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I disagree with you. If if you're saying that, you know, uh, in the same way we don't want to group and lump all people together, you know, the the Jews are doing this. Okay, I'm not going to accept that. Uh, if someone happens to be Jewish and they're doing something, I'm not going to hold criticism back because they're Jewish. So, in other words, we, I treat these as individual issues. I'm not talking issues. about
2: the people themselves. I'm talking okay. about those who are a, a, a review from a Jewish source. I mean, Well, you the, do jury, have the Jewish source is Israel.
1: Yeah, the Jewish source is Israel. So, that would definitely be a Jewish well, source. So, I'll agree. Yeah, yeah you can okay. say that. Yes. Yeah. But it's interesting that, that Israel is also a place where this is being challenged. So there's a judicial, a, a hugely important judicial debate being waged right now in Israel, and nobody else is talking about it. And this is, this is scary, um, but uh, this is a critical debate. Let's see what it turns out. Now, what if it turns out that uh, they do get these reforms in and that judicial review in Israel is declared unconstitutional? That would be fascinating. I bet you it's not even covered in, the, in our press because the, people believe in judicial supremacy here, including the media. They, 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 I mean, how many, times, how many times did you ever see an article uh, declaring Roe v. Wade an invalid decision because the Supreme Court cannot make policy or law or enforce it nationwide? How many times did you ever hear that, except on this show? On this show. That's it. We're it. We're the sole source. Of, I actually got a really nice compliment. So somebody uh, joined one of our groups and, and asked, why do you want to be in the Action Radio group? And they said, you know, because on Action Radio, there's truth and honesty. You know, and I said, thank you. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, OK. I <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. So I'll keep doing what I do. All right. Back to the article here, which appeared in what's uh, it, it appeared in the website unpacked. U.N.P.A.C.K.E.D. Uh, the date is March 17th. So recently, uh, this is what's going on with Israel's planned judicial reforms by Sarah Himles, H.I.M.E.L.E.S., who I really want to get on the show. I, I can't wait to argue with a liberal. Well, I wouldn't argue with her. I just want to discuss this. All right. So what are the reforms? Override clause. We're going to take these separately. Uh, uh, I hope Jonathan's listening. I really do, but I I don't know because he's a busy guy. The override clause. The Knesset would be able to override Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority of 61 votes out of the 120 seat Knesset. Currently, the Supreme Court can strike down any law it finds to be unconstitutional. With this change, the Knesset could overrule that decision and pass the law with the smallest majority. Pianki, what do you think? Well, it always says the
2: Supreme Court has no business making laws, and they just listen, give opinions between argument between two or more parties.
1: But can they not strike down, uh, say, a government provision? Let's take the the most recent one where Brandon wants to unilaterally expand um, background checks to universal checks without a. Um, uh, a law passed by Congress, which would be unconstitutional anyway, because the Congress cannot touch the ability of citizens to keep and bear arms. But let's say they did that. Could not the Supreme Court overrule that policy and say, no, that policy is unconstitutional. Uh, it cannot be applied. Now, they can't, make, they can't go beyond that. They can't actually um, take the law off the books, so they can't do anything else. But, they, but their opinion, their judicial opinion, this is unconstitutional, would then put the burden on Congress to do something about it. Or the executive to stop doing it. That's what should happen. You know, but well, they at what point
2: they, in time, does the state say the same thing? Well, states should say the same thing. But
1: the thing is, there's a then difference. they Well, here's we need to draw a line somewhere. So where I draw the line is if the Supreme Court declares that a law or a policy in a case is unconstitutional, then it cannot be applied to the parties of the case. That makes sense. However, what they cannot do is take the law off the books. They cannot, uh, you know, like, like penalize people. They cannot uh, change policy. They cannot order an action. Uh, they can't to remove a department or a person from a government department. They can't do anything. That's up to the legislature and the executive. They have to wrestle it out. But can the Supreme Court point out and say, look, this is unconstitutional because the, the Second Amendment says, you know, the citizens, you know, have the right to keep and bear and that cannot be touched? Yes, they can because they have to have a power. They have to have a power to be able to join with another branch of government to overrule a third branch of government. That's why there are three branches of government.
2: I think that the state should have the power to say it's unconstitutional. And those well, do who don't too. like what the state say, yeah. and what those who don't like what the state say, they should probably say to the – ask the Supreme Court. Do the states have the power to say that?
1: Yeah, but there's, there's a supremacy – uh, there is a supremacy clause. So if you, you start
2: the state, then go up rather than start at the uh-huh. top and come down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, states could do it too. So, this, so remember, the supremacy clause only applies to the actions of the United States, not the states themselves. The states have their own constitutions. You know. So the supremacy clause, so the Second Amendment, which the states have ratified by three quarters when they ratified the Bill of Rights, is the supreme law of the land. The states agreed to it. So they're bound by it. So if a, if a state comes up with an anti-Second Amendment law, like California does all the time, um, they can't say, well, it's states' rights. You know, We don't have to follow that. Yes, you do. The 14th Amendment said so also. So the Supremacy Clause and the Equal Protection Clause mean that they would have to follow the Second Amendment um, because it is part of the laws of the United States, and it is supreme in the Constitution. The difference would be, though, well, if know, the federal government – oh, All right, go ahead. I no, 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 what no my uh-huh. I wouldn't
2: live in California. It's just like you got New Mexico mm-hmm. is allowing abortion up to the moment, even after the head pops out of the vagina. I wouldn't live in California. Where if you look at Sarah H- Hickleby, uh they just passed a law permitting uh, in remembrance of the unborn statue to be erected there near the Capitol. So there's a difference there. And we need to recognize these differences and let it be.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. The, um, the, any abortion or any health issue, for that matter, is outside the laws of the United States. They do not apply. The Congress has no authority. There's no provision in the Constitution for the federal government, the laws of the United States, um, to, to have anything to do with health. That's not there. So they have no jurisdiction. So Arkansas can do what they, they do. New Mexico can do what they do now. It's up to the citizens and the state courts and the state constitutions to handle that issue. Abortion is purely a state issue. The federal government has no jurisdiction, none. And so the Supremacy Clause is actually an exclusion clause because it says that the federal government, you know, that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and the laws of the United States passed from the supreme law of the land. But the laws of the United States are only the ones that are duly constituted under Article One, Section 8, the powers of Congress, and only the Congress can legislate. So it actually, so the supremacy clause, no, people think it makes the federal government supreme. It doesn't. It only makes it supreme under the under the provisions of the constitutions, which are limited by the states. And people f- miss that complete part of it. But that's critical to understand.
2: That's a right? great point. You just made right there under the limits well, of you.
1: the state. Yeah, I'm I'm on a roll this morning. I'm this is what happens when you know Monday mornings I'm I'm just ready to go. So let's take the second one. The over All right, here's my opinion on, on the the override clause. The override clause in Israel makes sense because they're a democracy. So in a democracy it's majority rule. So if the Israel Israeli Supreme Court makes a decision and the Knesset, the parliament says by vote of 61 they override it. That makes sense for a democracy because majority rules. In a republic, that would not make sense because the majority does not rule in a republic. The republic, what's ruled in a republic is a constitution, a limits on government, individual rights, uh, and, uh, and, a, and a separation of powers. So in order to be constitutional, I believe, and I think they should have this provision, that the Congress can override any decision or opinion of the Supreme Court with a two-thirds majority just as Congress can override the veto of a president with a two-thirds majority. That, to me, makes sense, and that, to me, would be constitutional and consistent. Agreed?
2: Yeah, especially about the two-thirds override of the president.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, why not, right? Of course, I would make all bills. Actually, if I had my way, I I would change the Constitution so that all decisions of the Congress are are two-thirds because you get better decisions that way, and overrides would be four-fifths. But that's just me. All right, second test, reasonability. We've talked about this a bunch of times. The Supreme Court, this is in Israel, the Supreme Court would no longer be able to judge Knesset legislation, appointments, or other government decisions on the grounds of, quote, reasonability, which is like saying we can do whatever we want, right? Whatever we find reasonable is reasonable. The article says the Supreme Court employed this standard just this past week when it ruled that Netanyahu's appointment of Aryeh Deri—that's that's D-E-R-I, as a minister, it was, quote, highly unreasonable due to his past criminal convictions, most recently in January 2022. What were these real convictions? There <laughs> was a bogus stuff like uh, Trump gets all the time. Another example as Haretz, that's H-A-A-R-E-T-Z. That is uh, one of Israel's main media sources reports. In 2007, when the Supreme Court ruled that the government's decision not to reinforce classrooms in S-D-E-R-O-T, I'm not sure what that is, against missile attacks was, quote, unreasonable as it took too long for students to run to a bomb shelter. The court ordered then-Prime Minister Ehud Olmert to immediately reinforce the schools. Courts can't do that. Courts can't declare what's reasonable, then do it. That's like when Obama said, well, if Congress isn't going to do it, I'll just do it myself. You know, i got a pen. You know, that's unconstitutional. No branch of government can act unilaterally and make up their own powers. That's the most fundamental principle of a republic, or one of the most fundamental principles. Government- agencies and departments cannot make up their own powers. They have to be delegated. That's the whole point of the Constitution. That's what the Supreme Court can't simply make up. stuff. They can't make up doctrines. They can't make up policies. They can't make up laws. They can't make up regulations. They can't do Roe v. Wade or declare gay marriage or, or say that DACA residents have to stay. They can't do any of that stuff. None of that is constitutional. They have no authority whatsoever. So the reasonability all those tests they come up with in the Supreme Court, the Lemon Test, the Reasonability Test, Compelling State Interest, Strict Scrutiny, none of that stuff is constitutional. It's all been made up, and they do not have the power to do that. So I agree with this one. The Reasonability Test has to be dropped from Israel. Jackie,
2: Well, see, an idea has to usually start from someplace. That's what I was meaning earlier. Mm-hmm. The idea starts from someplace. And if you were to draw a line back to where you thought that this ideology began among certain people, it would lead there. They're in the White House. they in the Union the News. They're all over the place. That idea.
1: <laughs> How does it play in the White House? Which idea? Are you talking about the reason? Ron Manuel,
2: Jarrett. It's there. It's it's there,
1: oh, just just making up their own policies because they see fit, yeah, well, I mean presidents do that all the time I'll say another made up idea this this whole b s that the president is commander in chief That's not true. I actually wrote an article about that i'll i'll, I'll prove that in a second. I'm trying to, once again to find the and by and with clause. I know it's here ah, let's see if we get six um okay compensation, that's oh, very oh, bells faster. Yeah, I guess it's not here. Let's say all cases. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, here's one that we have to change. This is the privilege or writ of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. That's what they're using to keep the people in the D.C. gulag. We need to, re, we need to amend this so that it says the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended. <laughs> That's how we have to change it. All right, what's another one we have to do here? Right, I'm going sure to find the end by and with section. I wonder if it's an article, 2 I'm just, gonna, I'm just doing a real quick read-through here, because uh, it might be an article, two, which is the, the president. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. That's the president. That's advice. I bet you it's in here. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see. Right, I'll look for it later. I'll look at it during the break. All right, next one, appointing judges. This one I'm not sure about. It says the reforms would also change how the how Supreme Court justices are selected and give the ruling coalition effective control of appointing them. Currently, well, that's what we have here, right? Current, the, the ruling party basically makes the, makes the appointments to the president. Currently, judges are chosen by a committee of nine members, three Supreme Court judges, including the Supreme Court president, two representatives of the Israel Bar Association, when they're probably leftists, and four members who are elected representatives, two ministers and two Knesset members. That actually sounds like a rather interesting uh, cross-section of society to, to, um, to pick judges. I don't see any problem with that. It says, under the reforms, the two representatives from the Israel Bar Association would be replaced by two public representatives chosen by the justice minister. This would give the sitting government a majority of the votes for selecting judges. Hmm. So how do we... What's the best way to select judges? I wouldn't say election because elections are bought, sold, um, paid for. How would you select judges, Pianchi?
2: Well, I think that the state legislatures <clears throat> should select the judges. I think it should be fifty judges mm-hmm. just to come up with a way to break a tie. I think once each state should be able to uh, appoint a judge.
1: That's an interesting thought. We might have to do something about that. So the states, the, we might want to make a contribu- uh, another constitutional amendment. The states should nominate. Nominate. I'm going to talk to Jonathan. This is not a good question for Jonathan. Uh, Supreme Court judges. Just as the states need to have their states... Uh, state legislatures need to um, elect their senators, too. States should nominate Supreme Court judges. And then the Senate should approve. That'd be interesting. So the president really shouldn't have any impact at all. Or should or should the president?
2: No, because there's too much effort today on electing this president, electing this president. Then you hear these terminology that this president packed the court. That should be – each state should have – I'm saying they should have their appointment. They should Mm -hmm. seat a judge.
1: How would they do it? Uh, it, Think of a way. Well, the only way you could do it is the the state legislatures. Some would have to run – the states would have to get together somehow and and have some kind of an election of the state representatives voting for the person – the people that they want nominated to the court. And then the Senate could take, like, the top five and then uh, put them through confirmation – or not confirmation, but um, nomination hearings. And the person that yeah. uh, gets the most votes in Congress can go through a confirmation. You could do it that way.
2: Well, I think uh, you see what's going on now with the admission of all these illegals
1: who can uh-huh. be
2: counted as apportionment and possibly vote. From state and local election,
1: not legal. So I mean, they're, they're doing it, but it's not
2: legal. It's not legal, but they're doing. It. Yeah. Well, that's another argument. But I, you know, it would be more appropriate, I think, that each state appoint and place a supreme court judge.
1: Well, if each state did it, so you, so you have fifty supreme court judges.
2: You have. You know, you'd have fifty. You'd have you now. You just have to come up with a way to break a tie, if there is such a thing. it would probably be odd, huh? Because what are they talking about now? Back in the court, going from nine to uh, another odd number, they probably could, actually. There's no limitation on the number of, that you can have, so let each state have one from each state legislature. Because look how these states are starting to arrange themselves, and I think there's uh, some effort being going on. You got California, you got New York. Then you're going to have Florida.
1: Okay. No, I mean, it's interesting.
2: What about Iowa? What about a little hour in uh, Idaho? Uh
1: Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: well, well, we could think it's, about that later.
1: No it's, a good, it's a good, there. no, it's a good point. I'm just thinking, because I'm sort of thinking it, is there a parallel with the Electoral College, is what I'm thinking. And um, that the states elect the Electoral College. They're, it's made up of the representatives of uh, the House and the Senate. So you have two senators, sometimes only one member of Congress. But Article 2, Section 2, uh, Clause 2 is where this is. So that would be Uh, Here we go. Here it says, we're talking about nomination. He, in other words, the president. So this is Article 2. He shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, uh, provide, provide of the Senate concur, and he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate. Well, advice happens before you do something. Consent happens after you do something. So when it is the Constitution says, and he, in other words, the president shall nominate, and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, public councils, judges of the Supreme Court, see those judges again, and all other offices of the United States. So in other words, the president and the Senate have to work together. If they're doing it and by and with advice and consent, well, advice comes before. You don't give advice after something's happened. It's too late. It's already happened. So advice comes before consent comes afterwards. And after you've done it, okay, we agree, we'll give our consent. So the only way this can happen is that the Senate and the President have to actually work together on the nominations, and then. Confirm.
2: And then with the consent, you don't have to. You don't have to do it. It's just like dissent decrees. It's a recommendation. <laughs> there you go, advice. But you don't have to go along with it. A consent is an agreement between one or two, one or two people. And they don't have to go along with
1: it. No consent means to agree. If, if you know, when when our theme is when we agree to the, uh, at Action Radio, you know, we the people uh, give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Well, we can't give our consent until you know. You know, uh, our consent is 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 a uh, um, word Is is what is where I'm trying to think of. Our consent is is required. Um, no that's not right either. Conditional. So like it's a marriage, you can
2: ha- always voice it's like a marriage. You can always divorce yourself out of a marriage. Yeah, It's just mean, like this decree that Holden done with, with Ferguson. Ferguson agreed with the premise, but that don't mean that they uh, will stick with it. They can break away from it at any point in time. i yeah, tell you another one. The 1965 Voters' Rights Act, where uh-huh. you had certain states that came, that agreed to come under the guidance of the Department of Justice. But uh, Roberts broke them away from that. They're hmm. saying some of these uh, areas are predominantly black. So how is, their, uh, how is their racism going on here? I mean, in 65, they were predominantly white, probably. But now they're predominantly black.
1: That's a good question. Yeah. Well, a consent decree, as opposed to, I always thought of a consent decree is an order. But it's not. Because if you don't consent, then the decree can't exist. I had never thought of that. That's a good point, too. These are, these are more shows. Can we, I'm going to write down here, consent decrees. Jonathan's probably going to join us in a couple minutes here. Consent. Make notes on it. I am. I'm, I make notes all the time. I just don't read them. That's the problem. I have to go back and read my notes more. I take great notes. So consent decrees. So let's put a big star there for future reference. If it's not, uh, uh, it's not marked in blue and red, I don't see it. All right. Last part. <clears throat> Legal advisors. This plan also includes changing the law so that government ministers uh, that we call like, you know, like our cabinet, that kind of stuff, would be able to appoint our secretary. We call them secretaries. They call them ministers because it's parliamentary. Government ministers would be able to appoint their own legal advisors, which is not in, the in their authority today. The legal advisors would also lose the ability to make binding decisions and would only be able to issue advice. Hmm. Levin said that these proposals are the first stage of his plan reforms and that further changes would be enacted later on. Let's click on further changes. Let's see where where he's going to go with this. This is interesting. Here we go. Full judicial overhaul plan includes basic law, shakeup, splitting, I guess, the attorney general's role. I might have to do this one tomorrow. This is from 23rd of January. Let me start and see what happens. The new government's far-reaching plan to overhaul the judiciary is reportedly just the first step out of four. Ooh, this is getting even more interesting with additional plans including splitting the Attorney General's role, limiting the ability to petition against government actions, hmm, not sure about that, and major changes to the quasi-constitutional basic laws to reshape the balance of power between the Knesset and the High Court of Justice. The additional plan measures were presented in recent days to a small number of ministers, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, during a meeting at the Likud, uh, that's his party, party's headquarters, uh, at the Medzudat Ze'ev office building in Tel Aviv, the Haratz, Billy reported Sunday without citing a source. Well, oh, that's interesting. Uh, this is from what's the source here, the Times of Israel. I have to get them as a regular source here. Curbs uh, plan and court. Okay, so we're going to go back to that another time. There was another thing I wanted to uh, uh, talk about here, too, because it's quite interesting. Let's see if I can find that. But this is, this is fascinating to me. Uh, again, this, is, this would be great for Jonathan to join us. Hey, Jonathan, we know you're out there. Um, but overall, I think this—I think they're absolutely right with what they're doing. Uh, let me see where I can see if I can find the section on. Well,
2: long as you remember uh, that they're sovereign country, they can do what they want.
1: Oh yeah, but you now the difference is now Israel's is a parliamentary system as opposed to us here, who are a, um, a republic. Now those that—that's those are different. Those are definitely different. All right, there's Jonathan. Let me see if I can find. I want to find a place where it says uh, that we can get the, the, the rest of the, like, uh, there's more stuff here. Hang on, let me see if I can get, it to, uh, what's going on, Israel, let me get Jonathan here right now. As we now enter the legal report with Jonathan Mosley. Hello, Jonathan, good morning.
3: Hello, how are you doing?
1: Well, as usual, we're in the middle of a big discussion. <laughs> Have you been following what's going on in Israel at all with their judicial reforms? Because this, to me, is fascinating. No, not
3: you. I know you posted that, and I
1: haven't been up on that completely. Let me sum up the last hour in just a few words. Uh, Basically, they, their Supreme Court, is doing what our Supreme Court did in Marbury versus Madison. They're assuming powers they don't have. They're, they're declaring that they can de- declare laws reasonable or not. They can overrule any action, not just the laws. They can declare any law unconstitutional. And Israel doesn't have a constitution. This is where it gets even more interesting, right? And they, and the, but they've assumed powers of giving themselves powers, which is basically what Marbury versus Madison was about and has screwed up our entire judiciary ever since. That's why it's so fascinating. The second thing is fascinating is nobody's talking about it except us. We're it and, and some, uh, uh, a couple of websites and things like that. But you haven't heard the story in the news. You know, If Israel does this, what implications does it have for our own Supreme Court? If Israel says, well, wait a minute, <laughs> now they're a democracy, so it's different. But what, what if uh, they take away the power of judicial review of their Supreme Court? What implications does that have for us, if any? Uh, and is that why it's not being covered in our news sources? So these are the questions I have this morning.
3: Right. Um, well, I mean, it shouldn't. But, um, you know, I think who, who, there was a, um, I'm drawing a blank on the particular um, justice. I, I think it may have been um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or um, one of those saying that advocating for using other states, you know, other countries' law, you know, laws and constitutions. Oh, uh, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yes.
1: South Africa, I think she chose, or Russia. It was one of those two.
3: Yeah. That that we should that we should um be influenced by other countries. Yeah. And and this is where well let me back up. Forgive me mm-hmm. for for oh. for zoom zooming back for a minute. No, um, feel free. It's like like when Christine O'Donnell ran as a as a Tea Party candidate and the Tea Party being big on the Constitution. She got a chance to, she had this famous uh, debate with Chris Coons, a lawyer at Widener Law School. And he said, Chris Coons, who's, who's um, you know, was always going to win that Senate seat from the Biden Senate seat, um, he, you know, she kept talking about the Constitution. And he asked which one because of the, the theory that our Constitution has gone through so many different changes mm-hmm. that we effectively have had not just one Constitution for the United States, but three or four. And he trying to be the smart aleck and, the, and couldn't help.
1: No, I had that same bogus argument. Mark Meckler, the the Convention of States, the Article 5 guy, says that the Constitution that you know is not the Constitution. The Constitution is really 2,000 pages of Supreme Court decisions, to which I didn't say at the time, because this was a few years ago on WBY, which I would say to him now, that's a bunch of BS. The Constitution is the Supreme Law of the land. The court is subordinate to the Constitution, so they can say whatever they want, but they cannot change the Constitution. Therefore, to equate Supreme Court opinions and decisions with the Supreme law of land, the constitution is judicial misconduct, you know, there is legal theoretical misconduct. It doesn't happen. It's not true. It's a lie. The constitution is above all the Supreme court opinions and decisions. That's what I would have said to him.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely well, right. It is, but that's not the way it's used today. What's um, used yeah. today
3: is all the presidents that they call him. and And that's yeah. because, that's because government school students grow up to be college students, and then they grow up to be law students, and then they grow up to be attorneys, and then they get on the courts. and so you have a whole you have a whole group of, of people indoctrinated in this nonsense who then take over the court.
1: Yeah, and, and so many people believe it. It's like you know why did uh, I use the same argument I used before. Why was Roe v. Wade? Uh, the law of the land when the Supreme Court cannot make the law of the land. (laughs) Nobody ever challenged it on that basis, not that I ever heard. Which makes no sense. Yeah.
3: Um, So uh, let me find. So so anyway, so the question is, is is the 14th Amendment argues that, um, you know, the argument is, is that that opened the door to all these other changes and um then you know, and there there, wait a minute, therefore, um you know it 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 opens the door also to what's oh what's the terminology, basically, what's normal, what's normally accepted, mm-hmm. and therefore you know what's normal among civilized nations is considered. Part of our constitution.
0: That's because not true. It's,
3: <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. But, but I mean, that—that's the argument as to why we should, why we should follow the uh-huh. the. You know, for example, if abortion is considered to be a normal human right mm-hmm. in other nations, for the United States to be an outlier is. You know, is to is to defy, you know, what what is you know what is basic human rights and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, but that, that brings democracy into a republic, and this is a, the, uh, the the constant argument we have that we are not a democracy, we are a republic. We are guaranteed a republic by the Constitution. The states agreed to that when they created the Constitution. So the idea that we have to, and I've heard this term before, harmonize our laws. You know, with other nations or the U.N. or anything else, is total BS. We don't have to. In fact, we're specifically prohibited from, from taking on the laws of other countries um, that are against our Constitution and against our basic rights. Besides, how can abortion be a right when one person dies? It's that contradiction alone defies that abortion could never be a right simply because it doesn't right. apply to just one person. It cannot be exercised individually. Therefore, it cannot be a right. You cannot exercise the right of abortion only over one person.
3: Right. That's that's. It's kind of like saying I have a right to medical care, therefore I can use a gun and stick somebody up and rob them on the street.
0: It's an interesting.
3: (laughs) It's an interesting perspective. You say that that a right requires that someone individually exercises it. That's an interesting thing. Sure, that's why they're
1: individual rights, yeah. Well, my doctrine, I should send you my, my uh, there's no such thing as pro-choice. It's pro-choice times three. And this is why it's not an, yeah. an individual right, because there's not an individual involved. You've got a mother, a father, and a baby. <laughs> you know, So it is impossible for abortion to be a right, simply because one person is exercising rights over two other people. Pro-choice times three.
3: But, but see, that's important. and from legal analysis, because your argument is not simply, I don't like abortion. Right. You're, you're you're presenting a, a, an analytical test that makes sense. Mm. You know, that, that, you know, that, that a right is something you can, you can do by yourself. Um, Not as someone else, you know, that, that takes it out of the realm of personal preference and makes it an analytical framework, um, which is very well, interesting.
1: Well, I also take it further, too, because I say the, this is how I define a right. and I'd love your opinion on this. A right must be exercised by an individual and only an individual. You do not have the right to the means to exercise it. In other words, you know, we have a right to keep and bear arms, but you do not have a right for the government to give you a gun. That's up to you or or a computer for free speech. So you, the right is in the exercise, the right is not in, 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 the, in being given something. And the third part is that a right cannot take from somebody else their labor uh, or their property. And so health care, food, shelter, all those things, if they're given to you, uh, first of all, a right, is not, a right cannot be given to you. It's only, a right only exists in its exercise. So the idea that you have a right to health care, I mean, yeah, you may want that, but that has to come from somebody else's labor, time, time. Uh, or property, taxes, and therefore it's not a right. So those are my tests. They have to be exercised individually, and they cannot come from somebody else's labor, time, or, or, or property.
3: And that's, that's why, why the, the declaration speaks of the pursuit of happiness, which was originally, exactly. I think, what was it originally? It was the pursuit. They, they watered that oh, down. Oh, property.
1: From, I think it was property. Yeah.
3: yeah. But it, but it, it wasn't the guarantee of property. It was it was that you have the right to
1: pursue it. I don't know. That's a good and question, Piatti. Do you know that? What, what was before the pursuit of happiness? What did Jefferson say? Yeah, thing? you should
2: I, have. You should you should have a right to pursue, but it's not a guarantee like uh-huh. what you're seeing coming into play in so many instances today,
1: like this <clears throat> equity. Oh, equity is, is blatantly unconstitutional.
3: So. Yeah. So uh-huh. you bring up the question of, you know, what will this do for what will the reforms in Israel do for the United States? And of course, mm-hmm. it should it should have no impact, but it will because it will influence um, people. Um, and uh, it's interesting, however, that you know from what you've posted at Action the Action Radio Legal Project
0: mm-hmm.
3: from. Um, well, it's a—it's not an – you posted from a website called Jewish Unpacked, which is not exactly a news thing, but I'm
1: pretty no, it's, it's darn a liberal, sure. It's a liberal Jewish website, but they're, they're actually – right. I want to get Sarah Himalas, I want to get – or Heimelis. I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. I want to get her on the show. She'd be interesting because she yeah. really analyzed it with both sides.
3: I'm pretty sure that this – that the quotes here uh-huh. um, by, by these leaders would – appear in any news coverage and any honest news coverage. Um, but what's interesting, one thing that's interesting mm-hmm. is you know how many people how many people have protested the abuse of our constitution by our courts unless it's about abortion and I think it's a mistake for everyone to you know protest abortion but not care who the judges are. You know, if you if you care about anything like abortion, you better pay attention to the whole ball of wax. Mm -hmm. And we don't. So here they had on February 4th, more than 100,000 people protested throughout Israel for the fifth straight week against the government's proposed overhaul of the judicial system. Now, do we see that happening in the United States? Well, only with regard to abortion. And unfortunately, only basically on religious grounds, which I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I even have problems with some of what people are doing because we, you know, we had, we had conversations about the fact for decades that, that we had to win hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. You know, hmm. you can't just outlaw abortion. You have to persuade people that like you said that there's a baby involved and it's the baby's choice um because otherwise you will have all these workarounds and abortion pills and and people defying it and back alley abortions i mean i always you know there is always talk that we have to persuade people that it's wrong not just that make it illegal and you know anyway so i you know, I, I although I count myself among the religious groups doing this, I, I you know I, I think it's sad that we, that they don't seem to care about the about the courts. They just care about a religious view. Um, anyway, so we have got a hundred thousand people protesting, you know, for the fifth week, mm-hmm. and and then you've got um, you know, the uh, quote. You've got author Israeli author David Grossman telling the crowd at a recent Tel Aviv rally. So I guess this is not just based on one one website. This is you know, oh, these this are is, news this
1: events. Is, Yeah. This is Israeli wide. This is huge. Hundred thousand people how and, many people in Israel? Well, what are they have, three, four million people? Hundred thousand is a big chunk of the population to, to protest. They have the time to go out yeah. and hit the streets for five weeks? I and mean, this is a big so, deal David, there. But,
3: David Grossman tells the rally, now is the hour of darkness. Now is the moment to stand up and cry out. This is this quote. This land is in our souls. What happens in it today will determine what it will be and who we and our children will become. And um, you know, so this is you know, by 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 contrast, the, the, the people of America, even on the right, you know, are fairly pathetic. Um and you know where there I mean how many people would you know how many people could you even get to go to a school board meeting a few years ago, much less well, that the form you know rewriting the courts is is wrong, and I'm going to you know turn off the sports game and go protest
1: <laughs> but how many people would would protest? in favor of the Supreme Court having more power. See, so this is what I don't understand. This is why I think these are, these are planned protests or funded protests. It sounds like a George Soros thing. Why would the people who want democracy, in other words, a majority vote, give more power to the Supreme Court so they would have absolute authority over the other branches well, of government? Because that's what they're talking about.
3: Who's protesting for
1: the changes? The, the, no, that's, they're not. They're protesting against the changes. This okay. is what I don't understand. Why would the people Why, be protesting against the reforms?
3: Well, the, re- the reform, I thought the reform, I mean, what's called reforms are actually corruption. Is it,
1: am I wrong? Well, let me tell you what the reforms are. Okay, so here's, here's the quote that you read. On February 4th, more than 100,000 people protested throughout the country for the fifth straight week against the government's proposed overhaul of the judicial system. So we've talked about this with Pianchi in the first hour. Let me just go over them again because I want your opinion. First, there's four parts. The override clause, the test of reasonability, appointing judges, and legal advisors. The most important to me are the first two, the override and the test of reasonability. So let's go over them again. So the override clause, the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, for those who don't know uh, listening, the Knesset would be able to override the Supreme court decisions with a simple majority of 61 votes at 120 seat Knesset. Currently the Supreme court can strike down any law. It finds to be unconstitutional with this change. The Knesset could overrule that decision and pass the law with the smallest majority. What do you think?
3: Um, well, I think, I think every democracy needs that, but, I don't know that a I don't know that a simple majority should be enough. It, it should probably be something like two thirds. Um,
1: Just funny you should say that, Jonathan <laughs> Pianki. It should, should be, be three again? quarters. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's that's we can argue about that too. I said exactly the same thing in the previous hour that it's because we're a republic. You cannot have one branch able to control another branch, and just in the same way that it takes two thirds to override a presidential veto, it should also take two thirds in our country to override a Supreme Court opinion or decision. So I disagree, because, but Israel is a democracy, so it makes sense under a majority rule, which is what a democracy is, that they would say that a simple majority of 61 should be able to overrule their Supreme Court. I think that's wrong. I think they're right that they have to have an override, but an override has to have a, a larger majority than the passage. In other words, they can pass the law by 61 votes. So an override from another department of government has to be a higher majority than 61. So, so right, it has to be one hundred and twenty. Yeah.
3: Now of course they're not the United States, and I and I I I don't know if they would describe themselves as more of a de- like you say more of a of a simple democracy than mm-hmm. a constitutional republic. But yeah. so I mean it, it may be more uh, a better fit with their system, but well, they're not democracy. without. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's not 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 with us. I mean, we should. I think we should have a. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it would it would make sense here. Uh, and well,
1: eighty one would be an override. Two thirds override would be eighty one out of one hundred and twenty, because two thirds is eighty. So a majority would be eighty one.
3: Especially, especially when you know, in in Israel, where they have all these political parties and uh-huh. coalitions, and you know, you could have the slimmest of of a coalition. Mm-hmm. um that it it seems a little it seems a little problematic for israel um to have what? a simple majority return but the thing is i mean we can we can pass an amendment
0: uh-huh.
3: that that would overturn the Supreme Court decision, although we've never done it explicitly <laughs> saying. This this Supreme Court decision is invalidated. We've always See, tried
1: BS. to make it. Wow. No, I to say that's, that's BS to me. The idea that Congress and the states have to pass a constitutional amendment to override a Supreme Court opinion. That's insane. That's judicial tyranny. All it well, should take to overturn. Well, well, what you else you going to do? You have two thirds uh, vote in Congress should be able to overturn any decision or opinion of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is simply a branch of government. They're not gods. They don't wear black robes and descend down from Mount Olympus and and dictate policy and law to us. This is the whole problem of judicial tyranny ever since Marbury versus Madison. The Supreme Court is simply a branch of government. No better, no worse. And they are one of three branches of government that are co-equal, and it takes two branches of government to gang up on a third. So the Supreme Court has to be able to be overridden by the president and by the Congress. Just as the president has to be able to be overridden by the Congress and the Supreme Court, actually the Congress themselves can override the president, and the Congress has to be able to be overridden by the president and the Supreme Court together. That's how it works.
3: Well, yeah, and this this is why lawyers are not allowed to criticize judges well, um, by name. They can, you know, oh. they, you can get away with it in principle, but not by specific name, because I'm getting some background noise someone's crumbling yeah, up paper. The has no, <laughs> there you go. The judiciary has no armies, as they say. Mm-hmm. All they've got all they've got is to enforce a phony respect. You know, because respect is earned, not and not demanded.
1: So um, how do they convince an entire nation since eighteen oh three that the Supreme Court can basically make up their own power? That's the, that's the problem. That's why Marbury versus Madison is wrong. And I think I'm the well, only one that uses this argument it, that they cannot no, no branch of government can make up their own powers. They're all delegated by the state. The states did not delegate judicial review. It does not exist.
3: It was de- it was developed very very cynically. Um, hmm. the the court the Supreme Court picked and chose picked picked and chose the decisions it would take, the cases it would take and the decisions it would take. Um, to maximize um, their their you know the uh, the not approval but the the uh, what's the word not just approval but the the pleasure of the of the people consent. So they so the Supreme Court mm-hmm. the ultimate um, anti-democratic, as has been described. It, it is it is supposed to be the antithesis of democracy. And, you know, because it, it is an anti, it it, it, it pushes back against mm-hmm. the mob. Hmm. And yet what it's done in practice is be the most pandering institution to the mob. So it, it built this respect, you know, by by doing things in the name of the law mm-hmm. that the public wanted done anyway. You know, and, and fairly cynically and fairly explicitly in some, of, it, in some mm-hmm. of the literary discussion about it, the academic discussion about it.
1: So That's they like built uh, We said that earlier with Obama who said, well, if Congress isn't going to do it, I've got a pen. I'll do it myself. You can't yeah, do yeah. that. Huh. Right. Let me, um, let me read some real quick here, and we'll, get out, we'll, we'll talk about a whole bunch of other stuff in the next half hour. But I wrote a bill, which goes along with this, that I want to bring up today, too. Abolish the service power of judicial review. So I beat Israel by about five years. I wrote this November 17th of 2017. So this is this is one of my original bills when I started Action Radio back in March 1st of 2017. And I wrote the section on interpreting versus using the Constitution. There is a fine line for all courts, federal, state, and local, between interpreting the Constitution and using it. It is not the intention of this legislation to remove any legitimate delegated power to any court. Rather, it is to remove any power the courts have created for themselves deemed permissible to create by themselves and practice as if such non-delegated powers were legal which they are not for example article 3 of the constitution delegates to the supreme court the judicial power over all cases arising quote under the constitution which means the courts are restricted in their authority to only the cases themselves any power exercised beyond the cases before them using what is commonly defined as judicial review is an extra constitutional power and therefore illegal. In other words, the Supreme Court may strike down a law, regulation, or policy under dispute by parties to a case arising under the authority of Article 3, but they may go no further. They cannot create rights, make up rights, propose or implement remedies, rules, policies, nor require any action of any kind <clears throat> upon any other entity of government once the opinion is issued in a particular case to the parties of that case the state and local courts per the 14th amendment shall be bound by this same constitutional limitation for cases arising under the constitution for state and local jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Right. Make sense.
3: I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot there. Most of these things happened through creeping acceptance of a population, mostly not paying attention hmm. and trying to struggle to make ends meet. And, um, and and the like. So, I mean, because what part of what has happened is that the Supreme court and the courts have, have invented for themselves implied rights. Well, surely the court must have, surely the Congress and the constitution must have intended blah, 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 because Mm -hmm. we can't expect Congress to actually pass a law (laughs) making it clear, you know, so, so, you know, in order for us to do our work, we need to assume the following powers. Congress didn't bother to say, or the Constitution didn't bother to say it, so we're just we're just going to have to assume that 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 surely that's that was implied, and then what they, they, they getting- just implied.
1: But Why didn't they get a constitutional amendment if if the Supreme Court wants judicial review, they're perfectly within their their powers to propose a constitutional amendment to give them that power. same thing with interpreting the Constitution. If they want to interpret the Constitution rather than use it, if they want judicial review uh, rather than use the Constitution as, as as written, you know and they want to be, have the power to do something they don't have the power to do, that has to come from a constitutional amendment well and and there what? were times when that happened
3: like the the huh. dreaded the dreaded Lochner era era, the, uh, um, uh, the slaughterhouse cases, um, which were not, you know, that they started with regulation of slaughterhouses, but, but the actual reality goes way beyond that. It's just the, what they got called. Mm-hmm. So there was this, there was this dreaded dark ages, um, you know, spoken of in horror and derision by, <laughs> by lawyers and, and professors and judges um, in the, the Lochner era, era mm-hmm. when the Supreme Court actually followed the Constitution. And this yep. was,
1: you know, is was well, horrible. Well, except liberty of contract was a doctrine they made up. That was not true. Uh, it was impossible to equate an employer and an employee as having equal bargaining power. That's why unions were well, but created.
3: That's a question, all right. But that's a question of fact. Okay. It's like if I, you know, that that's not a... That that should should be dealt with as a did you, in fact, sit down and negotiate a contract or were you or were you just handed a form contract and said sign it or you're screwed?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that yeah. that's
3: not a legal rule as much as it is. It's, it's okay. factual
1: So what was um, so what did the Supreme Court do with the Lochner era then? It, so How were they actually following the Constitution and why did that cause problems? then?
3: The things that are not in the Constitution. The government doesn't have that power. Well, they're right. And they, yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is horrifying oh, okay. to the big government, um, you know, to the big to the big government, uh, um, you know, manipulator masters of the universe. I mean, hmm. you can't expect Congress to actually pass a law,
1: can you? The hmm. public might not. So when like was it. this? When was Lochner? Is it, it was somewhere around eight, 1913?
3: Late. It was after the Civil War up through, I think around 1880 to like 1910 or something.
1: So this is right before the progressives destroyed freedom with uh, the income tax, taking the the state legislature's power to uh, uh, appoint senators and was the the Federal Reserve Act, right?
3: Right. And the epitome of the change was, uh, you know, uh, the, the true horror in constitutional law. Should be Wickard v. Philborn. which you is mentioned when, that before. What's that yeah, when we had the um, when we had the, um, the Great Depression um, and FDR swept in and the Democrats swept in power, they could basically get anything they wanted passed through Congress right. because everybody was desperate. They weren't paying attention because they were just trying to survive, and it looked like the end of the world, just like COVID and every other you know. Never I was just gonna say COVID. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, it's always so, the end of the world. It's always an emergency.
3: Right. Well, they learned that well, so so they got, they could get anything they wanted, and, and and the, you know, I don't know if people realize that the, the regulatory systems that they had after the Great, you know, under fda FDR were. we're you know they would make the soviet union blush in terms of regulating every little aspect of people's lives hmm. um you know the soviet politburo would 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 feel they they that that was going too far um, wow. and so when when those regulations came before the before the supreme court even during the great depression era era the uh, Supreme Court said no, 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 hell no, hmm. um, and and then um, FDR and the Democrats who had the votes said, okay, let, we're going to expand the Supreme Court to 15 members and put in judges who think see things our way.
0: Yeah,
3: the court the court packing scheme. Suddenly, the Supreme Court. Does an about face and sees everything completely differently, so it's like a hundred and eighty degree turnaround mm-hmm. and that's like you know what 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 is that like that is like um, the scene shown in the Godfather either your signature or your brains will be on this contract yeah that was that's what that's what changed our 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 constitution and our country yeah. is you will do this under under threat of you know under threat.
1: So it's that right and the one well, time well, the Supreme Court, to fifty of them? Wow. Hold, hold on, Piak. Piak's got an interesting thought. I want to see if Jonathan has another topic first, because but uh, Piak has a couple of ideas that are really good. I just don't know if I want to take them at this particular moment. But um, I forgot I was going to say. But anyway, but the whole the court packing thing. The, it's funny that the one time the Supreme Court was actually doing what they're supposed to do. And, and limiting their authority and actually following the Constitution is the time when uh, the other branches ganged up on them and said, "No, you're going to, you're going to, you know." In other words, becoming a democracy, we always get in trouble when we we go to a democracy. Pianchi, why don't you just give your ideas real quick, and then we'll see what Jonathan wants to talk about because we have about uh, twenty three minutes left here. Pianki
2: no, I was telling. I may mean, just we talked about earlier that uh, each state should nominating each state through their own process should place a Supreme Court justice. The only thing you got to figure out how, a way how to break a tie if there would ever be one with that number.
1: Yeah. See, I think that's too many. Uh, I I, I, mod- oh. I modified Jonathan, I modified Bianchi's idea by saying that the states should have a uh, sort of like an electoral college. In other words, they vote on, you know, and come up with say, maybe 10 names or five names that they then send to the Senate. Uh, take the president out of the out of the whole thing so that way the states would have representation on the supreme court i think there's there's room for that but i think 50 would be too many Jonathan, i know but you haven't the, thought way about it now. Is
3: now, the way it is now you can have as many as you want but also remember that the um the our constitution was was designed over the idea that the, the federal government would do very very little it would have very, very few powers. So so the power of the Supreme Court would be very small because the power of the government is was supposed to be very small. It was supposed
1: to be handled by the state. Mm-hmm. That's why um, we need to overrule Marbury versus Madison. Um, let's, Jonathan, we've we got a couple other big topics that are sitting out there right now. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about Trump's arrest. Uh, maybe the uh-huh. bank bailouts or some of those things, but what's what's on your mind uh, today? Well, the thing is, is that you know the
3: the biggest political news story this week. I don't know what to say about it because we already you know listeners to the A- Action Radio already heard about it over the last several weeks here. <laughs> um, there, it, it is the biggest thing. The rest of the country is slowly catching up to what we we discussed already here, mm-hmm. um, and. It it is, it is interesting this, like I said, the statute of limitations has expired. There is no, uh, basically, and, uh, Jonathan Turley has weighed in, which is good because he's a, you know, he's a powerhouse liberal, classical liberal, um, Mm -hmm. attorney in the
1: good sense, he's not a
3: conservative, but he, he actually, he stands out as a conservative because he actually follows the law and the constitution. Um, even though I doubt he's ever voted Republican in his life. Um, and he, um, you know, so the thing is, he he laid this out. Apparently, from what we can tell from leaks, the president is, or, or the, the DA is trying to charge um, Trump with, uh, with violating Section 175.05 of the New York General Business Laws, which is falsifying a business record. It's a misdemeanor. Oh no, not
1: that. That, that. that sounds serious, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> falsifying and, and,
3: a business and I, record. And I have an article I, I wrote where I finally got tired of this, mm-hmm. and I wrote this wrote um, an article, but it hasn't gone up yet because um, <laughs> if if, if, if Michael Cohen sent a, 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 an invoice for $180,000.35 including $130,000 payable to Stormy Daniels That and the accounts payable clerk pays the invoice and writes it in the thing. That's true. Now you could say well Michael Cohen's invoice, I don't like it. I don't think it's true. But the Trump Organization was presented with an an invoice for legal services, and they paid it. And so it's actually a true uh, business record. Um, And then they – but but he's trying to turn it into a felony because – oh, and the statute of limitations is for a petty – misdemeanor is one year mm-hmm. um and because it's a nonviolent paper crime i would i believe it would be a, a petty felony a bad, petty misdemeanor if it's a uh, other misdemeanor it could be two years either way the statute of limitations has expired um there's no crime and what what the prosecutor has made very clear you know as i say leaking like a submarine um, screen a screen door in <laughs> a submarine is is that they think that they can get um, they think that they they can turn it into a felony because if if a, if a record is falsified mm-hmm. for the purpose of committing some other crime um, then it can become a class e felony and the statute of limitations would be five years, which has still expired. <laughs> um, and this is what this is all about. Hmm. And and so you know, what's interesting is, is that I've checked into this before with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, whomever that might be, not because it's Ron DeSantis, but because it's the governor of Florida, mm-hmm. um, as an unusually um, involved role in an extradition the governor you know compared to some states where it might be just automatic the governor of florida would have to satisfy himself that that the out-of-state arrest warrant is valid
1: where is this? is this florida law constitution this is interesting it goes to something i talked about earlier on the show and, and in other days how does this happen Well,
3: what happened, remember that they are, and this is one of Jonathan Turley's complaint, and a lot of people's complaint, is that this is the city of New York trying to assert as the second crime a federal Mm -hmm. crime. But it's still just the New York City DA. So it's not a federal issue. Mm -hmm. So New York would have to apply. Now, I mean, there's talk about Trump showing up. And there might be some wisdom in that, um, but there might also be uh, a, a benefit of a pause for for Desantis, DeSantis to say, "Hold, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. I have to look at this because it looks to me like the statute of limitations has expired. So this is not a an arrest warrant that I can honor." But what would happen <laughs> is is that Trump yeah. could voluntarily show up. Mm-hmm. Or they could, they could apply to the state of Florida for an extradition, again, because this is not a federal crime. Mm-hmm. So that's where, where we would stand.
1: Yeah. See, I went a lot further. It's really good analysis. I'm glad you brought that up because I was saying, I don't know if I think I was on the line that Governor DeSantis, you know, I had had three tests of his cojones. One was to uh, uh, to maintain permanent daylight savings time because we passed it, regardless of what Congress says. Uh, The second one was what we're talking about right now, that he should send uh, everybody, uh, state law enforcement, the National Guard, if necessary, to Mar-a-Lago, if New York, you know, if any New York official enters the state of Florida, they should be arrested and returned home. That they should take any means possible to protect the sovereign citizen of Florida, Donald Trump, because the Fourteenth Amendment says that we are citizens of the United States and of the state in which we reside. Therefore, Governor DeSantis has right. every state power to protect the. Trump, Donald Trump as a citizen of Florida against the, the uh, prosecutorial misconduct and political prisoner status that the state of New York wants to impose upon him. That's all right. Say. But I
3: think that I believe that the um, I believe that under federal law, mm-hmm. if the governor and probably with the attorney general determines that it is a valid request, that he would have to, that he would have to um he would have to
1: comply with it why
3: but he does well, have what, a very what makes
1: it valid if it's valid wouldn't the federal every, marshals bring him?
3: everything i mean if there's in my mind if there's any defect in it you know he the, the any governor of Florida whomever that might be mm-hmm. not just because of DeSantis, right. could say um go back and try again this is not valid, you know, and, and, and something, you know, for example, the problem is mm-hmm. if Trump had, like I say, the Trump's lawyers, and I actually got into a tip with Jenna Ellis on Twitter about this. She's oh, really? Not, yeah. She's not one of the lawyers I'm criticizing. Uh-huh. You know, Jenna Ellis, Darmeen, uh, Har- Har- Harmeen Dylan. Yeah, Um, Alina Habba, they're they're awesome, but I'm talking about the lawyers handling this stuff, and in Georgia, um, they're horrible. They're you know asleep, like they're I I imagine them slumped over their desk, dreaming of their next yacht, (laughs) and doing absolutely nothing. So, if if Trump actually had real lawyers. They would be at the courthouse with a motion to quash, ready to file. So a pause, in my view, for Florida to say, hang on a minute, let me look into this, would give time for the motion, for the, the charge to be quashed because the statute of limitations has expired. Now, the New York, people tell me, I have no direct experience, but people tell me that New York especially Manhattan is crazy. I I've heard people tell me decades ago they are, you know, left-wing does not begin to describe them. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I mean they are way and people say they are way off, the, you know, the map when mm-hmm. it comes to leftism. Um but something as as clear-cut as the of limitations they really can't ignore. I mean, it has either no it is either
1: not, that's uh, it has no merit to the case. This is crazy. Listen, I, I tell you, uh, here's the third test I had for for uh, for John Ron DeSantis and his cojones test. First was to keep daylight savings. Second was to protect Trump. And the third one was to get our citizens out of the DC gulag. You know, these people are 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 they're citizens of states, and I talked about this with the Fourteenth Amendment. So how much power? That's a good idea. Um, how much power do governors have? Which I think they should have. I don't know if this has ever been tested. It should be, but the 14th amendment says that we are citizens of the United States and of the state in which we reside. So being a citizen comes with privileges and immunities and equal protection Well they're not getting that they're political prisoners. They're not getting the right of habeas corpus, That's which good. I want to talk about That's amending good. in a minute, but where are the governors? Why don't the governors show up with the national guard? You know, if if DeSantis showed up in Washington with the national guard of Florida saying to the DC gulags saying we're taking our citizens out, you don't have jurisdiction over them anymore. Yes, it'd be a crisis, but it'd be the best thing he could do. Jonathan, Well, that, you know, that,
3: that's why I, I suspect I've, ne- I've never met DeSantis, mm-hmm. unlike Glenn Youngkin, whom I've met several times, mm-hmm. uh, being in Virginia. Uh, but I saw him live at CPAC, and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. He, he is a very sharp
1: guy. Well, I met him. Um, I actually met him at a rally with, with Matt Gates and Jim Jordan. So, yeah, so, but I, we didn't talk long, <laughs> unfortunately. But you know how those go. No, well, that's, yeah.
3: the, that's the name of the game. It's you shake right. hands, they take a picture, and they don't know, they never, you know, they don't ever remember the name. Know who you are. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then yeah. years so later. Terms,
3: you should flip a piece of paper in they But uh, Go ahead. Josie did yeah. that
1: with one oh, yeah. of our bills, actually. We'll tell you that right. story later. Go ahead, James. And then
3: years later, it will come up in your Senate confirmation like you're, you were best, you were in a conspiracy just because you shook hands for 10 seconds. Um, you know, that's just the way, the way it goes. But anyway, so I suspect, based on the fact that he's very sharp, and what I've heard is that he sh- is and should play this. He should be more, well, he, he can't really say anything, because if Trump gets blocked, mm-hmm. then DeSantis is the savior. I think I think he should do nothing to harm Trump. You mm-hmm. can't say he's not running because maybe because if Trump is blocked from running, then we need DeSantis to run. So I think but I think that you know, so I, I think that DeSantis's best play is to do everything he can to be to be supportive of Trump and then if Trump is sidelined, DeSantis is the hero of the moment.
1: Yeah, I don't think Trump's going to get silent though. I think that would—that's. Uh, you, you want to talk about insurrection? <laughs> You'd see some things, things then. But what about the yeah. status exercising um, the the powers of the governor uh, to to extradite the sovereign citizens of Florida from the D.C. gulag and well, their political you, prisoner status?
3: You really should get Trannis Evans on, <clears throat> on to talk about that. There is a petition for Man Davis in Texas along those lines. Okay. There is an argument that. The states, not the federal government, has the power to arrest these people. And, and I don't understand state.
1: it. They're in a place without a state. They're American citizens out of a state. They're not actually in That's a state. That's true. That, in that too. Right.
3: That too. Um, but there's a, there, there is an argument about this that I have not paid that much attention to. Okay. But it's a, you know it's a, it's a fairly well-developed argument by some people.
1: And who's the guest? How do you spell that?
3: Trennis. T-R-E-N-I-S-S. Evans from Texas. He has been one of the most um, effective and um, diligent advocates for January 6th and exploding this whole myth. Um, We've worked on him, worked with him for a number of things. He arranged... A petition for writ of mandamus for one.
1: Um, What's mandamus for, that, for the non-legal people out there? What's mandamus?
3: It, it's requesting that a higher court order an official or a lower court to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's usually it usually has to be something that's not subjective. It usually has to be something that's ministerial. Um, like, you know, someone hasn't, a judge hasn't ruled for in a year. And the the higher judge says, you know, get get you know get your get your hustle on and and, yeah, get it together. Um, But in this case, they're saying that they have to change venue Mm -hmm. because the District of Columbia Attorney General filed a lawsuit against all these these J Sixers, saying that the District of Columbia was damaged. That means every member, every resident. Of the District of Columbia, presumably a fair number of these judges, if not all of them, right. are individually victims," says the says the government of DC. So they cannot be judges in a case in which they are personally a victim. You see? You see? Well, that's
2: a good point. That's a, both of these are good points. The point about the the governor of a state should go get their citizen and what you just made is also a great point the well, thing and is that these states these states don't don't do what they should be doing uh, mostly what's the problem there
3: I mean get getting the most political bang for the buck with the least amount of work <laughs> you know they they, they you know how can I get reelected while doing the least possible effort? Um, but but my point in bringing that up too is that that's trying to, that's the kind of guy China Seventh is. He came up with that, arranged it. Someone wrote the the petition for Rick of Mandamus. And one Sorry, one defendant.
1: I'm missing one point though. Wow. How is it the governors were personally affected by, by January? what's his argument how the governors were affected by January sixth? I think I, I missed some of that. Not
3: the governors, the judges.
1: The judges. Oh I'm sorry. Okay. The judges
3: of the District of Columbia.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. Now I was thinking of the judges of the state, so I was trying to figure out the connection there. So the judges of the District of Columbia were because they were there when this happened, they could not possibly judge the case. Is that how it works?
3: No, because most of them are citizens of the District of Columbia.
1: Okay. But how can you be and citizens the of a district?
3: Of, the District of Columbia, by its Attorney right. General, has filed a lawsuit uh-huh. that, the, that, that the riot caused injuries, financial and otherwise, right to, to the citizens of the District of Columbia. The jurors have to be citizens. And, the, right. and, the, and most of the judges are citizens. So okay, if, you, gotcha. you know, if, you are, if you are in a robbery at CVS, mm-hmm. um, and you know, even if you were just there and held at gunpoint and they didn't take any money, you can't then sit on the jury. you personally... Yeah, but part affected. of the
1: political prisoner status is that they take the people who were affected by it and uh they're taking dc jurors and dc judges uh and they should all be uh, what what's the word when a juror is not? exactly thank you appreciate that yeah all right so, so this does to...
3: so i'm just i'm, I'm explaining to you that trent stevens uh-huh. is your guy right because he came up with this idea okay that the case like must be moved out of dc They cannot they cannot take place in the District of Columbia. Because according to its own government, most of the judges are personally victims.
1: Right. Okay, I got you this time. Makes perfect sense. Hey, listen, let me let me do a couple things I want to ask about. One is habeas corpus. We've been asking about, you know, why the writs of habeas corpus can't be be flooding this place. And I found something really disturbing in the Constitution. Is the privilege of the, the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. That sounds very bad in constitutional language. What it should have said, and what we might want to propose in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2, is that it say the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended. That's what it should say. Um, yeah. is, this part of, is that part of the problem, that it says the privilege? No, Why is habeas corpus that... a privilege, not a right?
3: Nobody's really first of all the, the biggest problem is that everybody is swamped
1: on these cases. You have right.
3: one, you know, solo attorney law firms with maybe one paralegal. We're trying to, you know, the, the John Pierce law firm and some others are trying mm-hmm. to represent many clients so that we can start to get efficient economies of scale. And it's very and and this the, the bird the 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 burden for, um, you know, the threshold for a habeas corpus is very high. It's like they have these legal mechanisms that are, quote, unquote, disfavored. Well, there should be no, dis, nothing should be disfavored. That's ridiculous. Either you qualify or you don't. They, but the, the courts have this nonsense that, you know, yeah, you have a point, but, you know, this is an extreme measure. So we're going to disfavor it, mm-hmm. you know, bull, you either qualify or you don't, you know, if you qualify for it, there should be no favorites.
1: Mm. Um, Makes sense.
3: So, so habeas corpus is a tough hill to climb. Shouldn't mm. be, but, it, but it, I mean, habeas corpus apparently literally means show me the body, right. which means, which means, or deliver the body, excuse me, deliver the body. Mm-hmm. which means the guy has to walk out of the jail cell. And okay. um, so it doesn't mean, but again, this, in this context, well, it can be used, it, what what it ends up being is, is it sets up a test as to whether or not the pretrial detention or the conviction after trial is legally valid. You know, so if, if, um, the idea is you say, deliver the body, and then the government says, well, we can't because this person is a bona fide threat to, you know, to whatever, to blow, to, uh, to blow up an oil refinery. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a valid reason why this person is, is, is being detained.
1: That's still prior restraint, though, so I have disagreements with that. Um, you, you had a Twitter battle with Jenna Ellis. Are you in contact with her at all, or, or Harmie Dillon? I'm no, neither of didn't. those. Uh, oh, okay. She posted, <laughs> yeah. she
3: posted something, and I and I responded, saying, "Why why aren't the attorneys, you know, telling, you know, doing their job with regard to Georgia?" Yeah. Now uh, Jenna Ellis has said she's not involved in the Georgia case, so I don't know why she has a thin skin about that.
1: <laughs> well, I've tried um, to get her on the show myself. I've tried contacting her and then, you know, Facebook and other places. Well, I'll, I'll see about that. Last question we have before Dorothy gets here. Um, Trump is giving a speech Saturday in Waco, Texas. Uh, I haven't covered it yet, but I'm going to probably tomorrow. The uh, This is the 30th anniversary of what I call the Clinton massacre at Waco. And I'm wondering if he is going to mention it. This is my my big question of the week. Is Trump, who is going to Waco during the 30th anniversary of the massacre at Waco by the government? you know, is he going to mention it? I mean, well, why else are we going there? So, so I, I, what do you think? I agree. Yeah.
3: I mean, I certainly hope so, because we talked, again, the problem is we talk anticipating a lot of these things. Then mm-hmm. by the time they happen, we're like, yeah, we already talked about that, but not everybody <laughs> listening, listening the same day. Yeah. So, so the thing is, you know, Waco and Ruby Ridge and, all these things, this is where mm-hmm. it started with this macho, um, you know, spreading, uh, you know, the government trying to show off and say, we're in charge, mm-hmm. you know, we showtime. got, we got the,
1: they call it operation yeah, we got showtime. These, yeah. Yeah.
3: We got these fancy, um, you know, tanks and everything like that. And we got to, we want to play with our toys. hmm. So, I mean, Waco Waco was a completely unnecessary murder of, I think, 77 people based entirely on, um, you know, the FBI and Loretta and Janet Reno and others wanting to show, you know, we're in charge or sit down and shut up. Yeah. And they got away with it. And so we're, we're where we are because they got away with Waco and Ruby Ridge and all these other things.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you make the point that we talk about things. I, I like to be six months to ahead, uh, six months to a year ahead of everybody else. So yes, it's anticlimactic by the time it happens because we've already talked about it. But I think that's the advantage of the show here is that we look into the the questions not being asked, the stories not being reported. That's why I covered, you know, the first hour and actually the first hour and a half of the show, the the uh, the Israeli court reforms, so that their court doesn't end up as powerful as our court, and we and they don't have a judicial supremacy like we do. And no one's talking right. about it. Except a few websites but, 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 uh, and mostly Israel. The but listeners going to, to
3: Action Radio should mm-hmm. understand that, you know, mm-hmm. they're we're gonna we're gonna try to make sure they know as the story is just developing, you know, before it becomes big. If you're paying attention to Action Radio, you're gonna understand it long before anybody else does, if they ever do. Yeah. Um. So, you know, if you want to know the future, listen to Action Radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: in fact, there was a special, uh, just, Dorothy, just hang on a second, I'll get you in a second. But there was a, a great report last night on One American News uh, with friends of mine, uh, Captain uh, uh, Trombley and uh, Captain Stewart and uh, a couple of folks from the military. Matt Gates was on the show, um, and these they were talking about the, the vaccine mandate and how it's destroyed the military and how even the, the, the vice commander of the, vice commandant of the Marines uh, was, was badly affected by his COVID jabs. And yet he required all the Marines below him to get it while his hand was shaking. He had a sign with his other hand because he had some kind of a palsy from, the, from the, uh, the COVID jab, same as people get from the flu shots. So, and I wrote these people, too. I wrote uh, Representative Gates and uh, um, Trumbly and David, David Trombley and uh, Tom Stewart, all of whom have been on the show many times. Uh, although it's been a while for Gates. I said, you guys, you had the perfect opportunity to talk about the solution to this entire problem, vaccine product liability. That would take all these vaccines off the market within five minutes of that bill passing. It has to get in the national debate. It has to be part of the 2024 campaign. And yet nobody mentions it. So you want to talk about being ahead. I wrote that bill two years ago, March 31st of 2021. Uh, So this March 31st is the two-year anniversary of my vaccine product liability bill. And yet only a few people know about it. That's ridiculous, right? Well, this should have been national well, the,
3: news. The, Go ahead. The idea oh, is is that is that the vaccine manufacturers should actually be careful. Yeah. And you know, it's like Trump supported this accelerated thing. I'm sure, assuming that well, surely these guys are going to do their job well. You hmm. know, they're going to do it carefully, um, and that was a should be a reasonable expectation. It was not meant. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah. If, if they're liable, then they say like. Look, you know, you know, better make sure you're you get it right, because if you don't, you know, there you may have to pay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, the last thing I want to say about today's, you know, yeah. first of all, oh, let me, uh, if I can, just yeah, t- take ahead. a couple minutes. Um, yeah.
1: Well, only a couple because I really want to get to Dorothy in, and, grand, uh, and then she might have to leave early. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Grand, you can call back tomorrow. The grand jury
3: in New York. hmm has a provision that is unusual normally the grand jury only hears the prosecution side of things um, and um, they uh, so they um, they, uh, they they only hear the, the the prosecution side of things and they they make a decision based upon that so um So, um, but, but New York allows a rebuttal witness. They invited Trump to go and rebut. I say he should go. Hmm. Even if he just says hi, shakes hand and says, how's the weather? And then leaves because that proves that he has, that the statute, that they could have contacted him earlier and the statute of limitations has run out. Um, But the other thing people need to understand, and this is, you know, I know this from directly being involved, having worked with some of the top lawyers on election law in the country and honored to be able to talk to them, is that they're trying to say that the hush money to Stormy Daniels, first of all, was not hush money. She was selling her rights. She She was selling her, shopping her story around to be purchased. And in fact, she got paid in 2011 $15,000. Um, and she, um, she, um, uh, so, so he, that, that, that if it benefits a federal campaign, that makes it a campaign expenditure. As we've said here before, that's absolutely false. It, it, it has to be something that would not exist other than the, the person being a candidate. Anything that would exist, whether they were a candidate or not, is a personal expenditure by law. It cannot be paid for by federal, by campaign funds, and it cannot be um, reported. So the idea that that there was a campaign finance
1: violation is
3: clearly unbelievably untrue, beyond all doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey yeah. Jonathan, if you ever need extra time, you don't feel you have to pressure everything into one hour. I have extra time pretty much every day of the week. Uh, so if you want right. to come back and, and expand on a story, feel free. Let me get to Dorothy. Jonathan. Well, thank you so much today. This was fabulous. This has been a, an amazing discussion, right. Pianke, First hour. Thank all you. Right. Let's get uh, let's change gears, as they say, and uh, I mean totally change, <laughs> and come back with Dorothy. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. You know, I really need that scheme. It's kind of like the political cold shower because <laughs> I have to totally
0: decom- yes. Yes. I have to
1: decompress from my politics and just let it all go and be like the waterfall, just whoosh. Now I can talk about I'll be sex.
4: honest, I, I <laughs> listen in. Well, first of all, good morning, and it's nice to hear your voice. <clears throat> and I listen in. I try to listen in, but I usually can only catch little snippets. Um, but, yeah, I, when I'm listening in before my show, it's really heavy sometimes. And oh, all yeah. it's important information. And mm-hmm. I don't always keep up during the week with what's happening in politics, so I like to kind of get get brushed up with you guys. Um, Yeah, it's a little heavy. And so I'll sort of be perusing my articles while I'm listening, which is very different (laughs) energy.
1: Oh, yeah, completely what you do. Well, see, this is why I love Sex and Politics Monday. That's kind of what it's becoming because the first hour is me. And then the second hour uh, is Jonathan and Pianchi is, is welcome on both of them, uh, which is great when, he, when he's uh, able to join. Um, but it does get very intense because I have all weekend, well, no Sundays I work, but I have, I have a, a fair amount of time to really kind of organize things. And so it really sets up the whole week is what, what happens on Monday. But uh, this is why you're here, though, is to totally take us away from that, <laughs> like last week. You know, yeah. the, the, yes, the 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 frozen ball concept, which is something. If you don't notice, go listen to last week's show, folks. I think we have something different for this well, week. Well, and this uh, is interesting,
4: and I wanted I wanted to mention because I was, my that? very safe. Well, go we ahead. talked about low the epidemic of low testosterone levels and how right. that can really impact a man's health and the sort of circular some of the some of the health aspects feed low testosterone cause greater testosterone dips and then those greater testosterone dips cause the very health situations that um, are. it's a feedback loop. And then we talked about some remedies and one of them is, one of them that seems widely accepted and anecdotally and scientifically has a lot of support is um, ice bath for the testicles. So whether you're in the shower and you have some sort of cup device and You know, not everyone wants a cold shower, although they're very healthy. Um, Just at the end of your warm shower, turning the water to cold, stepping aside, filling up a cup with icy cold water and dipping the testicles in for 30 to 60 seconds, or applying ice packs once a day, and this apparently really increases testosterone levels.
1: Uh, Is there an easier way, Dorothy? Is there an easier way? I
4: mean... There's a lot of ways to increase. We talked about it last week. There's a lot of ways, but I think it's exciting because what I found in natural health, so you know, my master's was from a very conservative university, my nursing master's, and I I did things by the the allopathic medical industry book for years, and when my patients weren't getting better, when I realized they weren't getting better and that we were prescribing drugs that three years later were recalled and there were a lot of deaths. I mean, you know, I woke up, but um, what I've learned over the past 15 years is is sort of intuitively how to kind of detect when something, I mean, there is false health information out there, obviously, but it's usually the information where someone's making a lot of money and has a lot of marketing power. So when the natural health community kind of all agrees that a certain practice looks like it's pretty beneficial, um, Mm there are sort of these signs you learn to recognize that, yes, this is worth exploring, there's enough data. Even if someone mainstream says, well, it's not in nature, you know, it's not in nature, it's not in, you know, the British Medical Journal, I've learned to sort of, meh, you know, meh, th- things aren't going to make it in there if they're truly effective and there's a competing pharmaceutical that doesn't want those articles in there. So um, it looks to me like this ice, ice bath and ice pack is, is legit. Absolutely. And I wanted to mention that my favorite article that I, that I was referencing from last week is Joseph Mercola. You know, he's mm-hmm. been silenced and oh, he's slandered. Fabulous. I yeah. cannot post that article I have tried a million ways to post that to our group or to my Facebook page, and I can't. The only thing I could possibly do is screenshot it piece by piece, which is fascinating yeah. to me. Um, no, there's a reason for it that. It keeps cha- changing it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, because um, he's been banned by he's, – he's in the algorithms. He's been banned just like I have, just for the same reason that you try and post my show and very few people see it. You know, when like almost dozens... nobody sees it. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the censorship. When I because
4: I, I get a lot of love on Facebook, and then I'm like, I'm on the radio, yay, come listen, and it's like crickets. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, how come no one cares, but it's you, so I no. can blame it on you and feel better.
1: No, <laughs> well, well, don't blame it on me. I'm not censoring. Are you kidding? I want everybody to hear, <laughs> hear your report, but what's happening is the, the algorithms, know. the censors. The in fact, ever since, we are talking about this a little earlier on the show, but uh, ever since I came out in February of 2020, I mean, you know, Jonathan talks about us being ahead of everybody else. We were light years ahead. I said, this whole vaccine program is a hoax. We don't need it. We've got early treatments. I came out on the radio. I wrote a bill February 27th and said the the Congress can only spend half their money on vaccines. Um, By March 2nd, we were openly declaring on the radio this was a hoax. We've got the cures. We've got the treatments. We don't need any of this vaccine stuff. I said, besides, it takes 15 years to make sure one is safe anyway. So we were so far ahead, but we were also the first ones censored. We were the first ones to get the algorithms. We're the first ones to get banned. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't see the post that, that I post every Friday, every Monday, excuse me, for your show and Jonathan, you know, the fact that not a lot of people see those is because we are constantly undering a, under a huge amount of censorship. And it's so censored that I can't get out the our big tech bill to end that censorship. And I could have saved Elon Musk $44 billion if you listen to me. I mean, I wrote him. You know, but uh, never got through. So you know, anyway, let's talk mm-hmm. sex. <laughs> but that's but that's why. Okay. But, uh, uh, just as just as sexual information has been repressed, uh, action radio and various doctors and various other people across the country have been repressed exactly for that reason. So we should talk about sexual information at some point. That might be interesting too, as to why that gets repressed. And
4: if something's being repressed, it's probably mm-hmm. I've decided over the past years it's usually because it really benefits humans and mm-hmm. um, helps us become super empowered and happy. And um, that happy energy then manifests and happy thoughts manifest more wonderful things. And humans would be unstoppable if we were truly self-realized in all the ways. So when we look at what's being silenced or what we're told not to look at or what we're told is quackery or conspiracy theory, now I've Mm -hmm. learned that those are usually the things to move towards and explore more. Absolutely. Hey, um, look
1: here! Look at all our stuff we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> just for that
4: yeah, and anytime there's yeah. a hateful or negative energy, I'll sort mm-hmm. of turn away from it. But sometimes that is because, you know, some humans have more of a warrior energy when they communicate, and it doesn't mean the topic is wrong. It just means they're very frustrated at the. Um, at at the repression or the lies. So that, you know, that's another way to filter too, because some (laughs) people don't don't do well. Some people don't do well when the information is delivered in a very like intense way. Hmm. Um, but I I find that it's just because people have passion about something. So don't just negate Mm -hmm. the information because someone, um, has an energy that's really, you know, Anyway, we're off topic, I guess. We're supposed to be talking about, you said handcuffs because Trump would maybe be handcuffed. And now yeah, I that two he reasons will not that. be handcuffed.
1: Well, there's two reasons I said. <laughs> One was because Trump was possibly going to be arrested. I think the fact that Trump mm-hmm. announced it has headed had off that possibility. But two, a friend of mine posts on Facebook their, uh, their uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day um, symbol. Uh, which is a four-leaf mm-hmm. clover, was actually two handcuffs arranged like a four-leaf clover with the, like, the chain hanging down as a stem. And I thought that was hysterical because this person who's, is dedicated. Who's
4: St. Patrick's uh, symbol? Who?
1: I'm not going to say. Not over, I'm not going to say over the air. Uh, although it was wait, public. Wait, wait, so I wait, guess wait. I... A
4: friend? A, personal, a person you know? No, this, like is fa- a, this is on Facebook.
1: Like a... This is on Facebook. It's on, actually on my page. Okay. Um, but um, I, but uh, this is public. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll just save the name for now. I'm going to ask her permission first. But anyway, so it's she's single like I am, person? like a lot of us are. What's that?
4: Okay. Oh, okay. A, a famous Facebook person?
1: Friend. Oh, it's okay. a real person. It's a real person. Yeah, okay. it's definitely a real person. It's on my Facebook page. You, you all can go take a look. Mm. Um, but if you can find it, because the algorithms you know, being what they are. Uh, but the point is that she, she arranged uh, a handcuff, two handcuffs into a four leaf clover shape with a chain hanging down mm-hmm. for the stem, <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, I'm thinking of it because that's, that's very metaphorical for relationships. So in other words, she considers, as I do most times, relationships are like wearing shoes at the handcuffs. <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. But then I thought that the whole, the whole idea of toys, of why would you include something as restrictive as handcuffs in something as playful as sex? And this is why I, I ask you. Hmm.
4: <laughs> <laughs> now I want to find that picture. I'm curious.
1: I'll, I'll message it to you.
4: Okay, so, so okay, so Trump is not going to be handcuffed. I read this. I'm trying to keep up with politics, but even so, you know what? This is a fun topic.
1: Why do you think I brought it up? I never, I never Uh, think about worry about topics with you, uh, but they just come to me like Sunday night. (laughs) You know, last minute. Hey Dorothy, let's talk about this. (laughs) You know, it just it just it just happens. I'm sorry, it's just one of those things. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so most
4: people learn about I mean, most people learn about handcuffs
1: from porn, right? So it's not
4: really part yeah. of our everyday discussions. Even if you've seen police officers with handcuffs, sitcoms? not many people not many people relate it to sexuality unless they've been exposed to that suggestion. It's not really a natural. Um, okay. But what is natural is the sort of dominant, submissive energy, which is interesting. And traditionally, the dominant energy is the masculine and the submissive is the feminine. And, of course, everyone, a lot of people like to play with with both in bed or either or, even if that's not where their essence lies. They like to kind of play in that area sometimes. Um, So handcuffs can add to that. Sort of play in a very lovely How way. I mean, there's exactly? a lot of different...
1: What What are you playing at when you use handcuffs?
4: Well, any, you're any playing or at any the restraining of device
1: po- for that powerlessness matter.
4: Powerlessness, being the one with all the power, right?
1: Oh, so,
4: okay. the one in handcuffs is generally the submissive, right? And the one
1: I would who hope so. Is... <laughs> I guess the trusting the one, one, the who idiot, is... the fool.
4: Well, it's a safety issue, so we'll talk about how, how to make good choices on who you allow to put you in handcuffs, how to okay. choose the appropriate restraints that feel good to you and have the the energy you like. there's a lot of different kinds of restraints, okay. and then um, what are yeah who what are the responsibilities, I guess, of the person mm-hmm. who is dominant so um so the dominant one, and again, I think of this as a masculine energy, even if your body is female, um, mm-hmm. is the one that generally controls, right? The sex play, yeah, it likes to chooses the dominant role to take control over everything that's happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, expects expects to get the pleasure, to receive all the pleasure, mm-hmm. um, is able to punish.
1: Oh. That's a nasty word.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. So now yeah, i can,
4: can punish if, if not pleased or not uh, obeyed, I suppose.
1: Okay. And, again, all
4: of these are flexible. So if you're a partner, you can, you know, you all decide how, which one of these is part of your game, part of your. And that's where communication ahead of time might be helpful, I think, mm-hmm. unless you already have a great intimate relationship full of trust. Um, which, you know, I advocate, and so do you, waiting, waiting for all these things until you have a great relationship, long-term well, relationship with solid interest trust in communication. You know, so,
1: what if there's an emergency yeah. and everybody has to leave and you're sitting there, you know, but there's the, the difference between the, the law enforcement handcuffs, I don't know if those are commercially available, and the fuzzy pink ones mm-hmm. you see on sitcoms, <laughs> you know, things like that. So there's, there's, right. there's handcuffs and there's handcuffs. So, so or, or the, the, uh, the typical restraints, let me tie you up. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to think where I first saw that. Uh, it had let's, to be a movie go, somewhere. let's go
4: into the types. Let's go into the types in a okay. few minutes. It's important, also. I think we nobody wants to waste their money, and the internet <laughs> is rife. Well, rife with cheap shit. Can I allowed to say the word shit?
1: The Some, I'd rather no. not only because there's so many okay. interesting words. Uh, I, I, I try and avoid so, the, the. Sometimes they're appropriate.
4: I hardly sometimes, ever sometimes use it, but I feel passionate yeah. about how cheap and well, stuff is on. Go on ahead. It. I don't want to Nate, I don't want to say the amma. Amma word but how cheap a lot of the stuff is when you order off of Amma. <clears throat> um oh, them. so i felt i felt strongly so the river about company? that by so I, I said <laughs> the south american river named company
1: yeah okay fine there we go you can you can say their name but you don't have to but as for cursing if it's appropriate go for it if not my my friend
4: um banned kind of from from that company like she they won't allow her to order anything she's very loud politically and and she believes she yeah they she always has trouble with her order. She'll either not get it, get the wrong thing, credit card decline. So I'm, I'm slightly scared because I'm a little still codependent on that company. So I don't want to. But um, let's talk about products in a minute. So the dominant, um, the dominant person in the, uh-huh. in the situation also um, prioritizes their own desires. So
0: uh-huh. um,
4: expects to be pleasured. Um, whatever they feel like doing or they want to happen, happens. Okay. And um, only obedience is allowed, right? So that's kind of the general role. And again, each couple can play with uh, variations of that on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, So we always say, talk about it first. (laughs) Yes. So if you have great communication, This is a recipe for success. And if you do not, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, hurt feelings, really relationship ending. Someone getting so frightened or feeling so unheard in this powerless situation. And uh, nobody nobody wants things to end ugly. We want this to be an amazing experience.
1: Oh, yeah. So you
4: want it. You want to know if your partner's open first,
1: right? Well, see, but and, what uh, I'm curious is why somebody would suggest things like that. This is, uh, this is, this is you know, uh, how can I say this without revealing too much of my personality? Uh, not something I have a lot of experience in, <laughs> you know, but I'm curious mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. because it's, it's a great topic to talk about. But when you talk about dominant, and I just wrote a little note to myself here, isn't the, the person who says no the dominant person? Is, isn't it the negative energy that again? controls? The person who says no is the dominant person. The person who says, let's try this, let's do this, let's do that. As long as you have an equal relationship and it's not an actual oppressive situation or a threatening situation or an assault, that's different. But if we're talking about a normal sexual relationship, intimate relationship. The dominant person is, is always the person that says no because that's the controlling. That's the controlling factor. In other words, one can um, suggest. I'm
4: going to. Yeah. And,
1: go ahead. And it could be the man or the woman. It just depends or, or you know, whoever. I don't whoever know it's if that's people.
4: true. I read a lot. I read uh, a lot and love me. the topic of sub- submission. And okay. that's like a, and I don't mean sexually. I mean in relationships. So the feminine uh-huh. energy, and this is again, this is a lens. The lens of this is masculine energy, feminine energy, healthy relationships where, where there's roles, There's a transaction that's agreed upon and rules and a contract of sorts. I mean, there's a lot to this, but submission got a bad rap because it came in the Christian Bible, the Muslim Bible refers, you know, almost all the world religions have some sort of reference to a wife submitting to her husband. And that makes most modern women, including myself, have Mm -hmm. a cringe. Yet over the past years, I've learned what that means. more. Mm -hmm. And I'm a
1: dude yeah
4: right. Yeah. so I, I, don't I don't want the responsibility
1: of of somebody submitting okay. me quite honestly. That's how I look at it. It's well, not my job. tradition
4: is not what we were taught. It's not what we think it is, and
1: okay. there's a lot
4: more we can read on this than I can you know, but it's the energy that lets it's, it, there's a leading energy mm-hmm. and a and a trusting energy, so the feminine energy is left to focus on aesthetics, on mm-hmm. nurturing. On finding her pleasure on being happy and free on spiritual guidance Um, there's a lot and um, when she is free to do the things that bring her joy in her heart and and, and this is interesting because I have so many women who agree when they're like a little more giggling and talking and talking about like like right now I'm buying a house so I have to deal with um, contracts and negotiating and whether or not the vinyl siding is going to be needed to your place in three years. I hate this shit stuff. I hate it. It is not my bag. I am my, yeah. I have many strengths. I'm highly intelligent in many areas. Mm-hmm. So when, when we, I have a lot of female friends and I work with women and we laugh about how we don't want to deal with that stuff. Like we do it, but we hate it. And we would love to have a man that we trust is strong, that will just take over In so many of these arenas, this is 3D life in a spiritual sense. This is the 3D. And for feminine energy, our forte, our strengths are not in the 3D. So the feminine energy does very well when she can submit or we could say relax and allow the masculine energy to lead and to be strong and decisive in Mm -hmm. the many areas of life where, where these decisions are really not what bring us pleasure and joy. It's not really our strength yet. We've been taught over the past 20 to 50 years to be really good at it and do it and be the boss bitch and all these things. So there's a lot of mixed messages, Mm -hmm. but the work when a woman is working to come into her feminine energy, it's a long process to go Mm -hmm. against a lot of the things we were taught growing up that we should be that make us strong and independent. Mm -hmm. Not, not that it's bad to be strong and independent, yet, however, in relationship, if you're, if you're gravitating and you love the feeling of a masculine man, if you keep stepping on each other's toes and both fighting for the same role, it's going to be very ugly. It always ends ugly. So, This is part of it. Men have been taught to
1: to take the feminine role. It's kind of interesting. There's like women have been taught to take the masculine role, but men have been taught to take the feminine role. And what I find fascinating um, is that throughout history, you've had powerful men uh, and supportive women, but those women who are with the powerful men are themselves powerful. You know, you've had uh, queens take over for kings. You know, they didn't do that by accident. Uh, You've got captains of industry who are guys. And for whatever reason, I think more guys are going to do that simply because, in fact, this was proven in a study. Men work harder. Men are more ambitious. That's just a masculine quality. Uh, And so, uh, you know, and... Women are more supportive and more you know, doing different things and raising kids and there's a whole bunch of other stuff, but the different energies we have, but the combination. I see, people, I think they, they segregate badly. If you segregate feminine energy from masculine energy or masculine from feminine, you you, you miss the point. You can have a couple, and, and, you know, a man and a woman in a, in a marriage, and you've got a captain of industry, the, a, you know, a supportive wife that makes that possible because all the things yeah. that guy doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to. Yeah. You know, uh, keep the house going and, and contract for repairs and, uh, you know, arrange the details and manage the finances because he's running, you know, U.S. steel or whatever. I just pick a company. Right. And so the combination of the two is huge. But because feminine I'm not sure energy, that managing maybe, the
4: finances is feminine energy yet, but in if a house. he can afford that. He, he can afford an accountant. But well, yeah, her, but in her, other words, her, the, the, the feminine couple. job is to make the home wonderful, warm and welcoming and easy mm-hmm. and peaceful. Yeah. That's the but feminine that energy life. role in the home. Yes. Right. But if so his life is better like, because like of that. Like you said, he doesn't have to come home and worry about home. Yeah. He, it should be a peaceful haven of receptivity and sensual mm-hmm. pleasure and ease. That is, and That is the feminine energy role.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. which is not to say that she, and it could be reversed. Maybe, maybe he stays home and she works and they have, and she Good runs a, you know, with a massive that. company. So, well, I, yeah. I don't know. And that <laughs> but works what I'm saying for is, some
4: people, but, yeah, but that it's, energy, but it's not the norm. most yeah. people cannot flip flop the energy successfully. So oh, that's
1: interesting. Look,
4: I've talked to a million housewives who also work mm-hmm. and to come home from work and try to switch so that your masculine man and you and your femininity have a lasting intimate, passionate, sexual and to try to flip flop, doesn't work. is extremely difficult. So I, mo- most of the time, it frequently doesn't work, and the struggles end up mm-hmm. end up in the bedroom because the bedroom reflects. So, so you got yeah,
0: two masculine I don't want to get in the
4: weeds <laughs> in the weeds on this, but 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 having yeah. to be masculine, you know, and there are many masculine positions women are holding, and that's right. wonderful. But these same women who might love their jobs have a very hard time coming home to an alpha type masculine male and having that relationship work unless they have done a ton of work in, in shifting their energy. Interesting. And um, I don't I don't know. And then if sense. you add kids into the picture, so now are you're no. both raising the kids, the kids are in daycare, but usually I'm just gonna say this in almost all the cases, in, in most of the cases the woman ends up sort of spearheading the child raising also and the decision-making and the nurturing. So now you've added that to her plate along with going out in the masculine workforce and earning an income, it just becomes very imbalanced. I mean, and there are ways to do it, and there's tons of relationship counselors to help through this. It seems like the easiest flow if you're in your feminine energy is to sink into it. Mm-hmm. Find a man who appreciates that and the, all the gifts it has to offer, and wants that super strong home environment that's supportive and easy, and trusting and loyal and faithful, and um, brings pleasure, so mm-hmm. that the masculine energy can go out and fight the battles in the three D world and and build a you know kingdom right mm-hmm. for his his family. I I don't know. How we got well, away from him so him quite a bit. We'll get back to handcuffs
1: in a minute, but let's look at Donald Trump and Melania Trump. Melania was a supermodel. Melania had an amazing career. You know, Melania married the most powerful man in the world. She is a powerful woman, but she's also extremely supportive of him. She doesn't need the spotlight, doesn't want the spotlight, Mm -hmm. convinced Trump that he was going to win when he didn't think he'd win in 2016. I've seen the documentaries. That, to me, is masculine and feminine energy, but they're they're both Mm -hmm. very strong people within their energies. So the combination of the two works. Yeah. I don't
4: feel she's masculine energy at all, and her career was feminine No, I didn't say she was ma- no,
1: feminine energy, but there's, but strong yeah. feminine energy. So in other words, we should distinguish between, you know, weak and strong, masculine and feminine energy, because mm. there's a I difference. I don't see that and,
4: feminine energy is ever is ever weak. It's extremely strong. It has very strong boundaries. It says no and yes very clearly. It only allows in that which is beneficial, supportive, positive, uh-huh. Um, and, and resonates as true. So it's it, it, safeguards... feminine energy. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But a woman with yep. strong feminine energy can safeguard a, a man, you know, because she understands these things that he might not see. And in being strongly 100%. feminine can support him, which is, and this is what I was getting to, is like the, the, the uh, you know, you look at uh, old romantic comedies, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. I don't know if you ever watched them, you know, do movies and stuff. Uh, they are probably, you know, because he's a traditional macho dude. And she's a strong feminist before her time. Those interactions, go watch some old old films. So they're fascinating the dynamics. But what I'm saying is there are, there are women who are, not that feminine is weak, but there are women that do not have strong feminine energy, just as there are men that do not have strong masculine energy. But you can have strong yeah. masculine and strong feminine, have them be completely complementary. And the couples, when you're in that situation, which I would even consider trying, you know, if I could get that, that great match, um, would be more, uh, they are more powerful together. Uh, as a couple, and it actually enhances their individual masculine and feminine energies, and finds them ways to work together, and that uh, they so are both stronger because and, of.
4: Yeah, and this is know. teamwork and buddies. Buddies, this is buddies okay. and teamwork. This is great. But uh-huh. um, when you're talking about trying to keep sexual intimacy alive, this is very culturally popular. The idea of we're both equally masculine and feminine, and we work together. Yes, in the workplace, mm. that is awesome.
1: That, yeah, but, no. Um, I wasn't talking about sexual. I was talking about like maybe like you know financial security, just just life and things like that. So sexual is different. You, you want to have strong. Yeah. I mean, I want a woman to have strong feminine energy. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry.
4: So feminine energy, and here we go, is mm-hmm. is tangential, chaotic. Not it's uh, circuitous. It's nonlinear, It's mm-hmm. extremely emotive. It's extremely hmm. communicative. It thrives Exciting. on connection. It doesn't go from point A to point B directly. It goes all over the place.
1: Love so it. These are great. So these are great when advantages I hear,
4: me. <laughs> When I hear that, that we both we both have this strong masculine and feminine energy, if this is what I'm hearing you say, and it works and it works well in relationship, no, I'm no, just, I'm saying just, I'm, just, I'm saying yeah, a okay. woman
1: with strong feminine energy and a man with strong masculine energy can work extremely well together. And it can be greater yes, than it would be what
4: individually. Yes, that's what I'm
1: Agreed. Okay, good. Agreed. We agree. And what is strong,
4: feminine right. energy? Yes, it's, it's not. So when we talk about submission,
0: mm-hmm.
4: we talk about, and, and I can take this in a spiritual lens or just just secular, but submission, meaning I know that in the 3D logical world that much of the world operates in, finances and um, strategic moves and logical decisions that need to be made quickly without emotion I am going to submit to you because I know I'm in my feminine energy. This is where I reside. I'm really good at it. It's my genius, mm-hmm. and it's it takes care of so many beautiful things. But those things are going to take me a lot longer, and um, and it might take me. I might never reach a decision. I, I'm just going to submit that's my to you in this in this 3D world.
1: Easy for me. In yeah, this 3D
4: world, I'm going to submit you as your partner. 3D, 3D, the physical world. That's, that's the okay. earth we're living in. The, the earth as it operates, this material right. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So submission mm. is more, we're going to choose a leader of these things that the world values as being the most important things, this list mm-hmm. of things. We're yeah. going to have a leader on that, and that is you. And that does not mean that I don't have a voice. But it does mean when I want to talk about something logical, I'm going to make sure that I'm prepping you ahead of time that I'm asking when is a good time that we have it. We don't just pepper throughout the day, these um, types of, I need my voice heard and I need to have this logical conversation about this thing. Now there's just a Mm -hmm. lot to it. So the, so submitting means I, I, I surrender my, my trust to you that you will take care of, of us in, in all these aspects and i will give you my heart be open and vulnerable and um, happy and provide an environment that is nurturing and make sure that we have pleasurable moments i mean there's a lot more to it so, but but we were talking about sexual submission and that's it's a little different but why would someone want to play in that arena is what you originally said and um you know studies show that a vast majority of women actually want to or fantasize about being in a submissive role in bed and we can talk for a long time about why that might be but but that is the way it is so these kind of games with handcuffs and restraint and Mm -hmm. dominant submission might be might be something really worthwhile to explore with your intimacy partner especially Mm. if things have gotten a little dull you know and there's a significant percentage of men that want to play with the submission role a little bit also, and there's reasons for that too.
1: Um, <laughs> we, but why not? We, we can talk about the dominatrix thing. <laughs> that be kind of that's always fascinating. You see that on, on you know in the movies too. It's like, what are they doing? You know, why is this well, there's enjoyable? What are
4: positions? So, yeah, and <laughs> just, there, and, and there's some positions we can talk about mm-hmm. also if we if we end up okay. with time. But um, so the sure. first step was talking to your partner. Are they interested? here's uh-huh. some scenarios. Here's some things we can, we can try. Does it feel, I mean, as a woman, I would ask him, what does he think about that? Does he think that'd be something that would be good for our relationship? Um, yeah. It feels to me like it would be fun. And I might just say it like that. And, and, you know, and so the next step is, you know who is going to be the dominant and who, and usually, usually this will be very obvious to the couple who's going to be the first one to be which, right? And you might play with switching the roles later, but usually <laughs> it seems as a clear but, choice. You know. Yeah,
1: but isn't um, uh, dominance actually has to have permission though? Otherwise, it becomes an assault. But so if the guys who usually want to be dominant, let's assume that men are are are, are mostly dominant men will be mostly dominant as long as the woman says it's okay. You know, in other words, you have to have that permission to be dominant. Otherwise, you know, but that's, but that's part of, but I think, I always want to get these terms. It's like when you said submission, I'm thinking, well, is it submission or is it more support and protection? You know? And Mm -hmm. so the the words are key because they have all these different connotations depending on on who's listening and and who's saying them. So this is why I question and sort of worry about
4: that and sexuality, sexual submission,
1: mm -hmm. letting, letting
4: someone else be in complete control um being willing to give pleasure in any way it is asked for
0: um
4: possibly possibly if Mm. you're this is sexual submission this is completely Mm -hmm. different than energetic feminine submission but you know um, possibly agreeing that hey there might be a punishing aspect and you can play with the game of disobeying like the one that's agreed to be submissive may actually intentionally disobey to get that fun punishment whether it's a spanking or whatever um maybe having i don't know how much what are the fun punishments
1: you know uh dorothy (laughs) what are the fun punishments now now you got me (laughs) so it could be a
4: spanking there's a whole realm called impact play that's the term impact play
1: new term term, impact play Uh tell me what is impact play (laughs) what do you think it is I know it, well, what it is, but you're, you, you're the expert. This is why I ask you. So, uh, so, so how, how are we impacting each other? Spanking, you mentioned that a couple of times. What else have we got?
4: I'm less of an expert than a, than a willing explorer of these topics. But um,
1: Oh, okay.
4: It, in, well, yeah, because it's, always, it's an endless, it's an endless all right. wealth of topics. And you see sexual sensuality, and, it's, uh, mm. and I mostly work with women and, and helping them mm. find their pleasure in their feminine. So all of this, okay. of this is extra, but super fun. And definitely worth knowing. Uh, impact play. So, uh, gosh, how do I say this in a way that doesn't sound depressing? So anything you're doing. <laughs> I have no idea. Not, because, I, because it could have a negative sort of feeling okay. to a lot of people. But um, uh-huh. just any, anything you're doing to impact the body with an object or your hand. Impacting someone else's body. Having your body mm. uh, feel an impact of something on one of its surfaces. Whether it's an ice object cubes. or a hand. Let's, let's go with ice cube. Or a cube. spoon.
0: Ooh.
4: <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's more sensual play. That's more sen- sensual um sensation play. Ice cubes, uh-huh. hot wax, feathers. feathers. I know somebody who loves <laughs> to be tickled with feathers, which I thought was really? just a stereotype, like an old stereotype. Yeah.
1: No, it's true. But okay. um uh, I need some feathers, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> a okay, college so back joke. back to All right, I'll tell yeah. you the joke later. Okay, fine.
4: Oh, sorry. I just try to we got fifteen minutes. Um, I just want to make sure we cover it, but uh what were we saying? We were saying, yeah, so so okay, the punishing, yeah, so
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, the so, you, you might agree in bad the conversation girl. ahead of time it, are bad, we going to punish sure and what what deserves a punishment and okay. the leader might say any disobedience, any resistance any mm-hmm. any um unwillingness to pleasure me fully or if you're willing, but you're not doing a good enough job. I mean, you could take this as far as you want, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the person agrees, okay, what is our punishment now? Okay, is this okay? What about this? Would this okay, great. And, mm-hmm. um, or the submission of one might say, hey, surprise me, anything goes. And, because you, if you know your partner very, very well, you know mm-hmm. when there's boundaries. Now, if you don't know your partner well and you're playing with a relatively new partner, I would never say anything goes because you never know what crazy stuff might come out. When you're handcuffed. But if you have a long-term partner, you might mm-hmm. feel safe saying, you know what? In the moment, anything goes. Just because you know this person's not a psycho and they're not going to do anything. And mm-hmm. you might know that you're also very willing to to experience whatever they have to offer. So there's a lot of trust issues here. So, um,
1: yeah, yeah. Don't and, tie me I, up and go I, to I guess, work. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs>
4: right. Obviously yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So... The person, whoever's the boss, the, the dominant one has to be willing to be bossy and take control. And if they, I mean, some people literally cannot do that. And, it, but that could be comical also. So if you're, if you're role play switching and and you let your more submissive energy in the partnership decide to be the boss, I mean, that could be adorable, oh. right? Um yeah.
1: Well, I think sex is funny and anyway. Like really I and mean, you might get I've had some of my best laughs, but uh, that's that's another story too. We have got to talk sex and humor. I think people take it way too seriously, but that's a whole other story. But back to the, but you know, the, the role playing is really is contingent on on mutual. You've got to agree to this, otherwise it, it becomes. I mean, where's the line between uh, you know play and all of a sudden we're not playing, and how do you recognize this that? This
4: is safety. This is safety, okay. and there's always a safe word. So the safe word. Is, I mean, typically used stop. by um, BDSM. <laughs> yeah. yeah, stop is a great one, and I teach preschoolers stop. And when you say stop and you hold your hand out in front of your face, you have your body saying stop and your voice saying stop very clearly. We actually okay. used to um, role play with little kids, like how do you say stop in a very clear, firm voice, not in a stop. Okay, so anyway, but um, yeah, so safety word, and that's a typical BDSM. Um, you know tenant uh, and you could have that with your partner again I'm such an advocate for long term trusting relationships before you do anything any penetration of vaginal anal oral because then a lot of this you need to worry about you know your partner and um, but again so yes safety words enough stop I'm done and and, and that is a true promise when you say that everything comes off everything ends and then we just cuddle and talk. What just happened? Like, how did it go? Da 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 da. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. So the dominant partner takes control and learns how to be bossy. It's 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 the stance, the tone of your voice, commands, convincing, firm. Um, and if your partner needs really wants that experience of submission, it's worth it for you to practice this and be good at it to give them that lovely gift, right? So so go hmm. all in, right? And if you're ten, ten, ten tend to be submissive in your external life, meaning, and I don't want to use that word in a bad way, you tend to be agreeable, soft, feminine. You don't want to argue little things. You just want everyone to be happy. You're, you're a giver. It might be fun to play in his energy and get really into it in bed. Let it consume you. Get the outfit. Get the leather. Get the whole thing. Get the costumes. Go all in because this is healthy. It's healthy. You're not being forced to to do this in the external world where you get to play in this role in bed. And role play is so healthy and so fun. It adds variety. And Mm -hmm. variety is something that men go to when they go to pornography. It's because there's a primitive biological drive for men to have variety so adding this role play costuming switching things up in bed especially in a long long long-term relationship is a wonderful way for men to get that need met and even the most trustworthy loyal man especially for him don't you Mm -hmm. want to give him that kind of rewards because he's such a great guy so wear the wig wear the costume be the different character so much fun okay so um and well, that's the huge though. This, this is,
1: this is underrated, yeah. I think that uh, the most attractive thing to a man is a woman that's attracted to him, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so there's, there's a huge amount that goes into that. I mean, you know, you can be the most charming, dominant, you know, in a good way. You know, macho leading men in the world, and if you're someone that doesn't care, nothing's going to happen. It just, you know, and it, it, but I think they reinforce each other. That the submissive reinforces the dominant, who reinforces the submissive, and becomes this this great little little you know uh, event. But it's it's fascinating. I mean, the, the whole idea. I, I don't think in terms like this very often, so it's kind of it's it's really interesting interesting to me to explore them because I have all the old stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Dominant is bad. You know, macho man is bad. Don't don't be uh, whatever. You know, the boorish clod. Kind of it's
4: all good, and a lot of women yeah. love the boorish Claude honestly,
1: and okay. the boorish
4: Claude stirs up feelings and I mean i obviously I don't mean exactly boorish Claude, but I know what you're talking about, like that yeah. very masculine, sort of bullish um task oriented
0: mm-hmm.
4: um full drive forward without a lot of analysis or discussion yeah. or consideration of other aspects. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, there's a lot that's very attractive to a strong feminine energy woman who, yeah. if she is See, really a, a in the feminine, very circuitous, um, she sometimes needs that. She needs that grounding. It's very attractive.
0: Mm-hmm. But
4: again, he'll have to also reach over and talk to her and nurture her and be tender and give her little gifts and compliment or He has to be able to do that. Or if she's mm-hmm. really in her feminine energy, she's going to feel lost and alone and unloved. So there's all that, too. But let's go on to um, who. what else does the dominant one need to be able to do? Needs to feel comfortable with a partner worshiping their body. So um, part of the dominant, dominant gets worship. The so dominant gets all the love and attention, all the um, mm-hmm. feel-goods, okay? And and, mm-hmm. and might bestow, might generously bestow on his submissive subject some pleasure if he or she deserves it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Otherwise you get the punishment. So uh
4: <laughs> yes. and uh, perhaps blindfolds and ties. And here's we get into the restraints and oh, the different blindfold. Types of restraints. So, no,
1: wait a minute, blindfolds a whole different mm. level because now you're losing your sight. See, at least when you're handcuffed, yeah. you can watch what the person is doing. There's a there's a there's an, you can anticipate what may or may not happen. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. blindfolded, you are so trusting that you're trusting somebody to do something that you have no idea what's gonna happen.
4: Correct. So there's an huh. element of trust and the surprise of what they might do is also very erotic. So when there's a trusting relationship and um, you have a creative dominant partner, uh, mm-hmm. there's no telling what they'll come up with. A lot of different sensations, different parts of your body, uh, mm-hmm. different amounts of pressure, different body parts being used to stimulate. Um, mm-hmm. So this can be endless and uh, it really has now you have full command, um, of your partner, whether, uh, so if you're restraining them with, um, handcuffs or ties or leather, or all there's many varieties of restraints and also blindfolding. Um, now we have a whole different level, ultimate trust, ultimate dominant submission. And, uh, we talked about, we talked about bossing. So, um, you can even have them call you a name. <laughs> oh, so there could be names. So like maybe B word? called mistress like, like, or master. Do this to or... me,
1: B word? I was like, yeah. Yeah, just...
4: well, I mean, okay. Yeah. And again, that's something that you want to talk about ahead of time because that could be very uh-huh. triggering, right?
1: Right. Um,
4: and again, when you know your partner a long time and you have creative, trusting sex play, it's probably a no-brainer. They could probably say that, and you'll either giggle and say, okay, now enough, you know, that's enough, or that's right, that's right, I'm your, you know, bee, or whatever, right, so Ugh. it's either going to go well, or go, but you don't have to worry about this, like, um, drama about it, because there's a huge, there's a long-term knowledge of the other person, and trust, trust, a trust, deep trust, so, yeah, yeah some names, bee, mistress, queen, whatever, boss, okay. um, I mean, some people, I'm just going to say it, I, some people, like Daddy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, that's weird. Or Big yeah. Daddy,
4: or you know, or, Poppy. I guess Dominican. We're talking about Dominican ladies, maybe Poppy. Oh, we're getting and multicultural. That's very this common is in day. Latin culture. Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sure the um, whole word creeps in too at at times, which is the the southern version of whore. But because you know, people forgot how to pronounce the correct word, but anyway, it's not a garden implement. Yeah, well, it's
4: yeah. um, it's a it's a term like so many other terms, right? So mm. boo is okay. a new term. Some people like which boo one. For their, their lover boo boo girls and boys use that to refer to their special love person mm-hmm. could be boo's. okay <laughs> yeah okay oh, yeah, no this is a, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh-huh. and then sex positions so choosing your sex position now your dominant one is going to choose it. so you're going to tie your submissive, so... your submissive to a chair are you going to tie them to a bed Ooh. are you going to make sure you can tie them in a way that that you can have the kind of penetration you want there's many different tying positions. You've got missionary um, where you can, you know, submission lies on their back, on the bed, hands above the head, ankles can be tied to the end of the bed or left loose. Um, oh. And, you know, this is very, for a woman being this way, this is very vulnerable. Her And it's also very intimate. So you're face to face. There's still eye, a lot of eye contact if she's not blindfolded. Um, and there's also, <laughs> you know, yeah, breasts are exposed. Mm, okay. um, hopefully, hopefully the dominant partner is talking dirty and has gotten good at that. Um,
1: talking dirty—that's if- that's a whole show. We, we, I, I'm curious how much the, uh, the the verbal, the vocal, the quality of the voice. I think my voice changes. I should listen to the previous hour and see how my voice changes when I do this hour. I bet you does You have
4: a whole <coughs> segment talking dirty with Greg, and then you Talk, change your voice. Exactly. And you... <laughs>
1: and now talking dirty with Greg. Special yes, prescription. Put, <laughs> put on my man voice. Yeah.
4: Um. <laughs> yeah. So talking dirty is a whole thing, oh. as you just said. Some people it comes very easy, and I'm going to say this: your feminine energy tends to be very creative in this arena. We're very mm-hmm. verbal. One of the feminine right. geniuses I like to talk about with my ladies is communication and sensuality uh-huh. is another one. But when you have, when you combine communication emotive um, emotion and sensuality as a genius in your head, you, you know, the, the talking journey just sort of comes very easily, but you, you know, obviously a woman has to be uninhibited and very confident in her sexuality also. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, so it, it is a gift and, and not everyone is, most people can do it if they want to, but not everyone is comfortable. They feel, a lot of people feel yeah, very uncomfortable. What you say, though, now it's so critical. You. Now,
0: yeah. oh, wait, oh, you can sex say is whatever physical, comes but, in your head. You have to, is, again,
4: it's tr- trusting with your partner that your partner's not yeah. going to be offended or, yeah. um, or, or think badly of you. So, so you can be, go out and be a lady or a gentleman in the world and in bed be the raunchiest, nastiest, thing ever and that that needs to be okay that's a trusting intimate relationship this is fun in bed Mm -hmm. and i feel like should be a basic like your partner um what they say to you is very indicative when they talk dirty of their secret fantasies also so if you're having regular old sex and they keep kind of right when they're close to orgasming they're saying sort of the same themes you're starting to notice these same themes coming out. <laughs>
1: to that's here. a here. Are you done yet? Right? <laughs> Don't say that things like funny. that. That's always turn off. <laughs>
4: that's not sexy. Are you done yet? No, that's not uh, No, it's not sexy. About. No,
1: <laughs> I know. What how you're about? Doing. What, what was saying, and I'll tell you. What uh, I was saying if, was that the. the, if, the if, go ahead.
4: If you have a partner that takes a <laughs> long time to orgasm, and you have a time limit. Again, I'm a huge fan of tantric sex. So we can talk about Mm -hmm. that again Another we've talked about it before, allowing your sexual, your sexual, your sexual experience to last for um, Mm -hmm. not just minutes, but maybe even hours and days and playing with that, like not orgasming for days and coming back. Better go away for a weekend. Oh my gosh. So much fun. So, Mm -hmm. um, but, but if you are in a time constraint and you really want that release of orgasm and you want your, some people have a self-esteem issue when it comes to their partner needs to orgasm or they feel like they haven't done a good job or the partner Mm -hmm. needs to have one. They're stressed out at work. They really need that orgasm. They need that sort of physical release. They just want to feel relaxed and go to sleep. For whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you want the orgasm to happen. Um, a clever partner who's been paying attention to, um, to her, her partner's secret fantasies that they may not be, you know, discussing yet, or maybe they're not even aware of them themselves, will be be clever and whisper just the right words at just the right time and touch the, just the right places and get that orgasm. And and what you choose to say with your words can ha- can really, I mean, it can, you know, the words can make it happen quick, like an orgasm that's a long time coming. Saying the right things can have a very miraculous effect. So. Um, we need to explore this further.
1: This is interesting. Well, here's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. Though. And the point I was trying to make earlier was that the the verbal component of sex, sex is not just physical. That there is a huge mental component, and and verbal, and and what you say is an incredible part of that. And I think that people compartmentalize sex as a, you know. Sex is a physical act. I'm like, no, it's not. It's an emotional, spiritual, physical, you know, verbal. I mean, it's a total experience. And if you're not, if you don't, if you don't see that this is part of the big reason I like having you on is to explore all these things. That a lot of folks aren't talking about or aren't thinking about and are missing, you know, because you can be dominant and your dominance might start in your voice, the commanding voice. Come here. do this (laughs) you know kind of whatever whatever works whatever the partners have agreed on but um
4: i and so i i'm a huge advocate of if you don't know how to talk dirty and i know we're off topic but that's okay because i only have one more thing i want to add um after this we haven't talked about positions but i think i gave you one good one so we'll leave it at that Mm -hmm. people need to get creative and do their own research there are so many good positions for restraining get off ama zon for your sex toys you know to <laughs> yeah. i'm find sorry a good sex you're
0: gonna end up yeah.
4: but you know what amazon has mm-hmm. a great return policy so the good thing is use it once i mean this is disgusting but they throw it away they don't care if, if it doesn't work great return it because that you know that will teach companies to have quality return products your sex another problem with products wow. another problem Never with thought products about that. you want to look at is is the content the tap the, the phthalates and the toxins in sex products i'm not going to get into this deep i just want to touch on it be aware okay. of the materials you are putting in your mucous membranes. Okay. Because Ooh, that gets into point. your body. The skin is your largest organ. So the cheap SHIT, this is how I feel passionate, the cheap stuff um, mm-hmm. is not worth having on your vagina ladies or on your vulva. Um, and uh, so get high quality, get good, get a few of them. If you found something you love, mm-hmm. buy three of them. Cause if you're going to abuse it to death, uh, you're going to want another one. And if they take it off the market, I'm um, just like shoes, you know, get a few pairs and you love it. But, um, <laughs> okay, so talking fast you, you talk when you get excited,
1: you, it's it's. Uh, I do, and
4: yeah. I want to finish before we we end. But I wanted to say that about the we talk. Got a few season, minutes of time cheap if I do. If you don't. Is very important.
1: Yeah. Go ahead.
4: Well, I I know I feel like being a woman of integrity. I start on time. I end on time when at all possible. That just feels. We did start on time.
1: I, I took away. You got eight minutes of of, of reclaimed time. it could be like Congress. I'm reclaiming my eight minutes. Okay, go ahead. Go for it.
4: Well, but it's about me. I know you run over because you have guests that go on and on about important things. But um, I like to end on time and then it'll leave everyone wanting more, right? It's a feminine well, that's, strategy.
1: That's, 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 uh-huh. the, the, that's the purpose of a good sexual relationship is to want more so that you're ready for the next time. Let me ask you a really okay, quick so question. Okay, so talking though. dirty. Right, I want to
4: make one point about talking dirty. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't know where to start talking dirty, start by complimenting your partner here we go Mm. reenacting um Mm. manuel my blubber is manuel right now manuel i love looking at your big strong arms above me when we're having sex god that's so hot and um i reach up with my fingers we're just pretending we're in a missionary position and i'm stroking Mm. that oh your your muscles are big manly i mean that is enough to start and it's true and um and that's enough for some men, like, to really get aroused, like, the thought that, God, she's looking at my muscles, I'm so manly, she's touching me, and then take it from there, like, just say true things, it feels so good when you're blanking me, wow, your <laughs> blank feels so good, wow, you really know how to do it, like, compliment, 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 really like, know if you don't how to know blank. where to start, yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say. I can't say it on the show, but start with compliments. Start with real genuine compliments that come from your Mm -hmm. feminine heart. Ladies, I'm talking Mm -hmm. to ladies. Men, Mm -hmm. women love to be adored and noticed. Women, feminine energy loves being noticed and complimented. Loves it. So do it. Do it in and out of bed. Do it as much as you can. Make it sincere. The -hmm. rewards will be, they'll be like priceless just the amount of, you'll get back from that. Okay. And the last topic on dominant, we're going to go on dominant back to dominant submissions. um, Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to unleash the naughty side in bed. So Mm -hmm. everyone has one. A lot of this has to do with feeling like a need to be in self-control all the time. So a lot of times when people enter an intimate situation with a trusted love, a trusted intimate partner, um, entering a sexual situation, um, there's a lot of control issues or embarrassment issues or, you know, a reluctance to let go, and that can affect the ability to orgasm, the ability to experience pleasure, and also the ability to have fun in bed. So for a lot of women, and and I don't want to speak to men right this moment, um, they have a fear of unleashing this naughty side. Guess what, ladies? It's there. I call it the erotic creature. I work with women. We we work on unleashing this and playing with it with costumes and music. It's there. And when you allow her to come out in bed with a deserving masculine energy partner, um, the rewards are, again, endless. So changing your attitude, allowing yourself to have the naughty side, um, being curious, being willing to be vulnerable, saying what you need and, um, bringing some sex toys into the picture, looking at them together online, maybe deciding which would be fun and deciding on the role playing you want to play with and maybe playing with the dominant submission and some handcuffs and restraints, deciding if you want the fuzzy pinks, which they do break very easily, deciding if you want the legal like police quality, which requires a key and can be a little chafing and hurt the wrists a little bit, Um, leather, fabric, you can grab a necktie and tie your hands. There's endless choices for um, for restraints. Okay, I think I got covered everything.
1: here. No, that's fascinating. Cool. The, only, the only last question I have is: is dominant uh, positions? Um, we think of dominant as on top, whoever it is, mm-hmm. man or the woman. That's not always true, yep. is it? Uh, dominant position it's can true. be it's usually, usually
4: true. Usually true. Okay. Um, if you have the man on the bottom tied up, uh, there's a lot of potential for the woman to uh to be in different positions it's called queening queening um i'm not going to get into that your listeners can look it up look it up on their own but (laughs) generally speaking the one on top uh the one on top is unrestrained and um and the one on the bottom is restrained uh and there's there's a lot of positions to look up that have a lot of benefits and a lot of ways to to tie yeah use what you got use your furniture use your house have fun
1: yeah, we, should, we we should spend a show talking about places to have sex other than the bedroom. I think that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. People, people think mm-hmm. of sex as the bedroom, you know, how, you know the pool, you know, the backseat of your car. I mean, just just play, play like 1950s role play. You know, imagine you're a 57 Chevy where half of America was conceived. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. The, the places you can have sex are as, only as limited as, I guess, your imagination. That'd be a fun topic, too. Okay, this is great. It, it always is. I, I love talking to you. You know, and this uh, I get inspired every time. I like, wow, gee, I should have a relationship now. This is great. Anyway.
4: Even just I'll explore you, these things and know. play with yeah. your masculine and feminine energy with somebody. Okay. I mean, it's very healthy. I agree.
0: Yeah. I mean,
4: you know, a respectful relationship of trust where you get to do these things. And
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, there's a lot of willing women, Greg, I'm sure, that would be like, oh. Yes, I would love that. <laughs>
1: well, you know, like you said, I'm area. getting to a place now. Uh, well, I'll tell you quite honestly, well, you'd think, yeah. But, uh, um, but where I am now, like I say, for a long time, I really wanted to pursue action radio. But action radio is becoming much more manageable now. I'm, I'm actually starting to have some extra time where this might make sense. So introduce me, you know. <laughs> so try to try well, ma- in match a, not a person, but a quality. In other words, who do you think would, would be good for me, for example? That'd be a fascinating thing to talk about based on what you know now
4: hmm Next week.
1: Well. Uh, <laughs> okay. Don't mention names. Yeah, just a quality of of woman who would who would match up with my, you know, sort of nerdy machoism. <laughs> I get an interesting combination of stuff. You know, it's it's, it's it's kind of funny. You know, rape your wit. Yeah, humor, I don't know. I don't know how
4: you'd be in a relationship. Like, the most important thing is to have, I, I believe, to be able to give the feminine energy, what she wants and craves
1: mm-hmm. willingly
4: mm-hmm. and not just at first, but continuing.
1: Well, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I sort of, you know, I, I love doing the romantic hopeless romantic thing. Done some pretty romantic things. I'll tell you off the air, <laughs> but uh, um, it's, yeah, I, I love that stuff. You know, things that uh, I'll give you one example. Um, one day it was, it was college um, girlfriend, You know, up in the upper balcony, and I was like driving my car under. Hopped on the hood of my car with the guitar, you know, playing songs and singing songs. And of course, all it was a girls' dorm, and they all came out and watched. And uh, uh, and then she was like throwing roses down to me. So you want to talk about romance? That was romantic. That was fun.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I love stuff like that. So I be able to keep it up? Sure. Definitely. I think most people once they get the relationship established, they forget to keep it going. And I think that works for men and women. That's a whole nother topic too.
4: They get lazy don't get lazy.
1: lazy. You got to maintain and,
4: and, and it. And that's what, causes a slow kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A slow kill of a mm-hmm. relationship. Okay. All right. But yeah, not so, your listeners. They don't do that. So positive. No, they note. don't. And until tell me next week, <laughs>
1: tell, me, tell me, give me some qualities I should be looking for. I think that'd be fascinating because it'd be an interesting little thing. You don't have to. I mean, it's just an idea like everything else, but uh, yeah, I'd be curious <laughs> to see what you think. Uh-oh. It's a well, challenge. I, always, I, got, I know, got a challenge for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I don't like long-distance relationships. So I've advocate that you meet somebody in your area.
1: Well, that's what I intend to do. I don't want to drive for five hours, 10 hours. No. Besides, you you don't see the person as often. The whole point of relationship is to see that person often enough, you know, to maintain the relationship. And the further away they are, the fewer. I, that's a whole other topic, long-distance relationships. Why would you want to do that? That doesn't make any sense.
4: Well, people get on dating apps and they don't. I mean, I have all kinds of advice for dating apps. It's a whole other topic, but yeah, they don't write that one parameters. down too. They don't yeah. set their parameters correctly to get to get the person they want. They don't. They don't yeah. know how to. Put, they don't know how to make a profile to get to get only the responses to try to funnel only the responses uh-huh. of people that would be appropriate for them and that would make yeah. a, a relationship that would work. Hmm.
1: Well, here's another topic, oh. so to so add to our list, is uh, you know, yep. at what point would you move? For a relationship, at what point would you leave where you are and move for somebody else? For a relationship,
4: That's the that would be The feminine energy would normally do that. The feminine energy would normally do the moving because the okay. masculine energy is providing a uh, financially secure environment, um, a safe, secure environment for her. But huh. so, well, that's you know, but not always. So anyway, um, till next week. Thank you, Greg. That was super fun. And uh, yeah, also well, maybe well, buy a house today. That's happening.
1: Congratulations. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Use your macho side. And communication contacts, things like that, that websites, as uh, usual.
4: Yes. Dorothy Diana on Facebook. And uh, my website is yoniyun.com Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com, where I have a variety of online and in-person classes, um, mostly related to sexuality, sensuality, and a few on detoxing and health. And I do private phone Sex calls, etc.
1: Any hmm? sex toys on your website? Any sex toys on your website? Just no. Curious. Okay.
4: No. Yeah, I'm not. I thought about that briefly, but I don't, I don't want to do too many things. You know, it's, it'd be fun to own a little storefront, like a real brick and mortar, which hmm. had um, spirituality, more, more spirituality, feminine energy uh, things, even a dancing place. And then maybe yeah. a small section on really hard sex Spirituality, quality sex talk, sex toys. and toys.
1: Here's, your, here's your, shirt, yeah. your shop title, Spirituality, Sex, Talk, and Toys. <laughs> there you go. Mm. There's,
4: there's
1: well, your, it has your, a
4: lot yeah. of overlap for me. Spirituality and, and sexuality for me is, is very interwoven. So oh, this is kind of my forte. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we got your extra time, and now you've had your hour. So, you know.
4: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you can always count on me to not pay attention to time. In my classes, I always tell my ladies, listen, I'll tell mm-hmm. you we're doing 15 sit-ups. Uh, it might be mm-hmm. 20. It might be 8. I'm not really. The counting isn't really
1: it's mm-hmm. very masculine for this me. This person prides herself on staying numbers? on time and stopping on time, and now you've just counted Well,
4: I try to do time. that just to honor other people's time, you know. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I feel honored. Just, you know, if someone's I feel honored having on you on me the show. and then. Mm-hmm.
1: Honored uh, by our conversations. Okay. <laughs> All right, honored.
4: well, I'm off to get coffee and sign some papers. And okay. once again, great show. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Do it next week.
4: And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Okay. Bye, Dorothy. See how much fun we have on this show? I mean, where are you going to get this kind of variety? You know, earth-shaking crises and then sex toys. I mean, this is what we do here at Action Radio. There are no limits. There are no... uh, Well, I mean, good taste, and uh, I, I don't, you know, obviously... You know, no violent hatred, you know, nasty stuff like that. And I, I really, you know, I don't like swearing on my show. I just don't. Uh, not because I haven't done it myself or used the words, but I think there's so many more intelligent ways uh, to present topics and information. It just seems like we we can do better than that. But that was just that's just a little note that just came to mind. Uh, I haven't played a single one of my announcements, so we're going to play those now. And then uh, our, our musical selection, for our classic music selection, which I always play at the end of every show. But uh, Mondays are like this because I just don't have time. Between my hour, which rolls into Johnson's hour, which rolls into Dorothy's hour, there isn't time to do stuff. So. So let's, uh, let's see who, what's, uh, what's going to happen tomorrow with Trump's arrest. And uh, I'll probably be covering Waco. I always like to cover things that no one else is covering. So I, I think I've got the timeline of Waco. We've got, we've got Brianna Cannon with Government Inquiry. We've got Josie Casi with the Latina Report. I don't have a guest. To, let me just double check. I do not have a guest. That's the wrong page of my calendar. Let me just double check here. Uh, no guest tomorrow. So that's uh, good. So I'll have that third hour to, uh, to go over the entire Waco timeline and we can talk about that. So this is Action Radio. Um, and we've got our site here, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Uh, my substack is com. New articles coming out all the time. Uh, our, our donation site is give dot go.com slash action radio. And I think that's about it. Anyway, talk to you tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time when we start all our shows, uh, Central Time during the week here, and back tomorrow. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. Well, That sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. Conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida. Right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic, and is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5.00 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive, I go there, you should too. Do you know your way around health care, insurance, pharmacies surgery alternative treatments and choices I don't which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans had her on action radio and learned about health patient advocacy she is the founder of GraveCare and now as an affiliate of GraveCare we are proud to offer through our discount code WYL which stands for write your laws a 10% discount GraveCare saves you both time and money through better knowledge and advocacy. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida, Stand Your Ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850- Their email is StandYourGround1776 at gmail.com Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range axe throwing archery a rage room self-defense classes concealed carry weapons classes security license training paintball a full service gun store and 24-7 online ordering So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best Stand your ground. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio.